I think Roland O'Gara could be managing the Cork Hurlers, the Irish soccer team. He could be managing anything. He's got the X factor. To win two Champions Cups with a club that doesn't really have that much of a history in the game. OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition. Available now. Alright, you're very welcome along. It is Monday morning. We are bright eyed and bushy tailed. Columns here. Morning, sir. Shane is here. Good morning. How are things? Um, Gabe Burns used to have this thing where in the, the pre show, when he'd be meeting the guests in the green room, he'd be like, Is there anything now you don't want to talk about? And then straight off the bat, he'd go straight in, <laughs> twist the knife, and everybody would be like, Oh my God. Shane, you, you played some football <laughs> at the weekend. Very good. Yeah, we unfortunately lost our Premier Cup final in the Calvin Monaghan League uh, to Las Villa. Congratulations to them. Uh, 4-0 at the weekend, so it was a bit of a drubbing in the final. Um, really and hot day. How did you play, though, more importantly? Uh, very average game. If I, was, if, if, I, if I was to give myself a performance ranking, it would be certainly in the red. Mm. Um, as a team, generally, we'd be, we'd be in the red. But we've a young team, a uh, nice mix of youth and experience. We'll be back next year. We'll be back. You're captain? Yeah, win or learn, lads. <laughs> did you send learn. an inspirational quote to the team afterwards or an apology oh, probably oh. should have been an apology did you not tweet an apology on your, your Instagram was full of the, the, the stuff in the build up to it I mean I knew all it about it Colin somehow missed him but. yeah but I'm not one of these uh, shite hawk Premier League footballers that puts up a fake apology and sorry to the fans and, and the team and we'll do better that's a load of crap T- just accept that you weren't good enough on the day take your bad performance and, and, and move on don't, don't patronise everyone do you know it was, a, it was a weekend of ends of conclusions Shane searched for silverware <laughs> Ryan Tuberty. Oh, yeah. Finished. Soccer AM after 28 years. Last ever show on Saturday. Jeff Stenning finally leaving Sky Sports. Done. End of the Premier League. End of the URC. French Open started for the first time without Rafael Nadal since his debut in 2005. Oh. And the finale of Succession. Oof. Which happened last night. Question is, are we doing this this week? Well, I mean, what does everybody want? What do do, do people does, want this? Yeah. We're kind of we'll, do it, we'll do it on Wednesday. So you we'll got to on Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Is that so okay? The last for half an hour of a show of the show, at least. I think last. I think last. The last portion of the show, and we'll give you loads of warnings. Spoiler with, alerts. With full spoilers. Yeah. Right. So I have to catch up before. before yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, a bit of work to yeah. do. Yeah, it's a lot of work. I mean, you didn't mention the Cork Herders going out there. Of well, unfortunately, there that, that's reserved for the Gillette Labs. Okay, so you're not going to mention. All right. A reminder: OTVAM live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Edition is available now. Here's what's on the show between now and 10 o'clock. Keith Wood's going to be our first guest at 8. We'll have the performance rankings before that. Rob Tanner's going to talk to us about Leicester, who are down. Big Sam's gone too. Aw, poor Big Sam. The giant head. <laughs> Literal and physical and metaphorical, rather. Uh, sports news at 8.45. Sarah Dunham been talking hurling at 8.50. Anthony Moyles at 10 past 9. And then a clip from the Sunday pay-per-view to play you out this morning. But let's get straight into it. Unless there's anything else you want to talk about, sir. No, go ahead. Time for the Gillette Lads performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance was just lacked that intensity. Boom. Right. Starting in the red, lads. Um, I'm just going to wait till it goes up on screen. Leicester and Leeds. Exactly. Um, you've forgotten. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, that's, that's my subtle way of doing it, but now I'm called out. Um, Everton's 1-0 win. 
sadly for Leicester City and for Leeds United sends them tumbling to the championship um, you'd imagine Dean Smith won't be in a job for too long the talk in Leicester is that he's going to move on and maybe they look look elsewhere and you, you saw the scenes uh, at the King Power Stadium at the weekend and it was just a goodbye from essentially the entire squad uh, you saw Madison um, you saw Vardy as well as you'll see on screen there and they were all just saying their little goodbyes. I, I'd imagine this Leicester first-team squad is going to look drastically different next season to how it looks this season. Um, Brendan Rodgers, of course, sacked back in April. Dean Smith comes in and fails to keep the 2016 league champions up. When you think about that, lad, lads, in the last number of years, Colin, you were saying it before the show, the, uh, the FA Cup win as well, the Champions League run they had. And now, to add this into the mix, uh, Leicester fans have had a roller coaster. Leicester City have absolutely no business being relegated. This is like the West Ham team from 2003 that went down with all that talent, Joe Cole and Michael Carrick. Like, if you were, if you were away for the last decade, Matt Damon style, the Martian, oh, he himself good. is a Leicester City fan. And someone gave you a run-through of what happened, even in the last, what is it, seven years? Is it he, is absolutely is, insane. Is he really a Leicester City What happened fan? to Leicester City? You know, to win the league, the following season to reach the Champions League quarter-final, mm. beating Sevilla in the last 16, losing to Letico in the quarters, winning the FA Cup for their very first time two years ago. Two consecutive fifth-place finishes. They finished eighth last season. Brendan Rodgers was talking about how we're going to build in the summer and he just came back a different man altogether. If you look at the stats even, they scored more goals than anyone else in the bottom half of the table. Anyone else. They scored the same number of goals as Aston Villa, who qualified for the Europa Conference League, and they're gone down. As Barney Rene put it in The Guardian uh, this morning, it's like they the best way to describe this Leicester City team going down is like they forgot not to get relegated. They could have slept, walked into it. They thought, oh, this won't happen. They won four games in a row last autumn. Relegated sides don't win four games in a row. But then they went through a spell between February and April where they didn't win anything. Would Brendan Rodgers have kept them up? I don't know. I would say... I would say it, wasn't it? Possibly, yes. It's a bit like Graham Potter at Chelsea. If he had stayed put, would they have had such a terrible end to the season? Probably not. And because of Roger's ability as manager, but he was done at Leicester. Potter, he had I'm no not, motivation. Left. Potter, I'm not entirely sure. I think, um, I think, I think his motivation would have been not to have a relegation from the Premier League on with this crew on his CV. Because um, I think that that's difficult for him. Like if he'd if he'd kept them up, and the Spurs job was still available, everybody would just be saying, "Oh, well, okay, you know." Now it feels like he can't get the Spurs job for whatever reason, even though he's very well qualified for it. Mm. Uh, maybe not, but I mean, Eddie Howe took Bournemouth down and he got the Newcastle job. Like, there is ways back and there's enough that was, goodwill. That was a big break between that, you know. Um, but Dean's a big break. And the other thing about uh, Eddie Howe taking that team down was they were nowhere near as talented as this squad. So, like, you know, he hadn't presided over that team winning uh, the FA Cup and narrowly missing out twice on uh, Champions League qualification. Well, so, I mean, so it's, it's just as well for him. He didn't. He left, so he didn't take him down. Yeah, but it, it, it the team is stained now. You know, um, Dean Smith couldn't interrupt the pattern of what had been established under Brendan Rodgers. It did feel like Brendan Rodgers would have been able to talk them into believing some more than Sean Dyche, like over the last five weeks, because Everton were not very good. Well, Dean, Dean Smith said after the match, he said, I, when I took over, I said 11 points is what we need for me to probably keep this team up, and he was right. They got nine points in that period, uh, and two more would have kept them up uh, on goal difference ahead of Everton. So you look at that Everton's are the Leicester squad now, eight players out of contract, Tielemans I think is one of them as yeah. well, so like there's a, there's just a rake of them. Um, too many goals. I think the last clean sheet, they got the clean sheet against Newcastle last week on Monday, but that was... November. Yeah, November yeah. was the last one before that, so yeah. I mean, that that's relegation. And like going into yesterday's game, they'd won one of their previous 16 games, so like <laughs> The, the, the last third of the season was a complete disaster but yeah. like 
you mentioned Tielemans like Harvey Barnes, James Madison, even Jamie Vardy still has a Kelechi and Nacho is a Premier League worthy striker. They're all gone. And they're right? gone down. Like, like it's, it are is they madness. all gone? Uh, are, well, they're all going to leave the club, I'd imagine. Like, I can't imagine any of them. I can see Vardy staying push at his age. He loves Leicester. Possibly, yeah. One or two, but I, I mean, whether they're going to come back up, whether Leeds are going to come back up straight away, I have my doubts. Leeds, uh, Sam Allardyce's comments after the match would, would concern you. He was basically saying this 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 club needs a lot of changes and he was like, they're, they're going to struggle in the championship. <laughs> Nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me, basically. I was just observing like the rest of you. He was wipe, wiping his hands. Um, I, like Goals need to be scored and he pointed out that goal scorer, you need goal scorers to score goals and the recruitment just hasn't been there uh, at the club over the last while. Um, it was he basically saying over the next few days he's going to sit down to the board. He wasn't ruling out staying on. Staying on. Well, like tactic. Oh, he's going to say that, of course, but I mean... Well, look, if Leeds keep Sam, you know, uh, they deserve everything that's coming their way. <laughs> he did the classic in the press conference afterwards um, of a departing manager. said, oh, look, they, they tried very hard. Like, I, I wouldn't um, they. wouldn't criticise their uh, effort. Yeah, they was on number one, and then number two was... Uh, but ultimately, they're just not good enough. Like, kick them when they're down, Sam. The scenes in the sta- in the stand as well. Leicester City fans started battering each other. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, no, I didn't see that. Yeah, there was a group. <laughs> it was obviously a small group, but like just at one point battering the heads of each other and then uh, the Leeds fans were probably the loudest in voicing their disapproval at the team that's because um, Lucas Moura just jogged through them all in his last kick of a football for Tottenham nature of the game scored yeah. a fourth goal like, at least Leicester did what they had to do on the on the final day do you know they got their win against West Ham so they went down with a, a bit of a bang Leeds go down with a whimper that that, that performance generally speaking was just atrocious against they conceded 29 goals in the last 9 games Leeds again would Marcello Bielsa still be a Premier League manager if he'd stayed at Leeds and I realise like a lot of water under the bridge in the meantime but if they'd just ridden out the bad period he was having or mm. yeah. Je- Je- I don't think Jesse Marsh was going to keep them up I don't think there was you know any difference really between what they got Would, would Marsh have kept Leicester up because Marsh's talks with Leicester if you remember before yeah, Dean yeah. Smith took no. over broke down No don't It's hard so. to tell the difference between Marsh and Dean Smith there's just not enough of evidence from Marsh Well like, Dean, Dean Smith has had a successful uh, yeah, so the, the Smith appointment was fair enough. I suppose, does Marsh get the credit for... Like, Smith had a whole season where he kept a team in the Premier League. Mm. Um, yeah, so I don't think there was... Uh, I, don't, I think going for Smith over Marsh is fair enough. It must be tough, though. For any Irish fans watching this morning or listening, like, if you're a Leicester fan or a Leeds fan or a Southampton fan, it must be quite quite sad watching your team go down because you don't actually know how long it's going to be before you're in the Premier League again. Like, if you're Leeds right now, you're looking at that squad going, they're not going to be back next year. Leicester, I don't think they will. Leicester potentially depending on how they recruit at least they will recruit I with respect with respect you've put some team in the green letter on who nobody expected to be able to get back up whose squad is nowhere near Premier League yeah. so you guys pronouncing immediately that oh this is oh, they're dead forever I don't believe it there are parachute payments to come they are actually you know properly established clubs with good facilities and great stadiums which it turns out even Luton don't have so I ain't writing any of these teams off like um, I'm not saying uh, forever no, but Coventry looks good. Away. Middlesbrough under Carrick look really good. Like there's just there's clubs in the championship that are that are going to have one or two years with really, really good managers. Good. Uh, you know, I mean, your Man United nonsense coming no, through again. Well, Carrick took over and they're, they're in the relegation spots, weren't they? And then they took them yeah. to almost promotion. Yeah, it's been a really the world's most difficult league where loads of teams who were just badly managed with like a modicum of good management managed to surge at the table and reach the playoffs. That does not speak of like a oh an amazing league with loads of quality at the moment. Oh, it I just doesn't. I, I did understand why Bielsa left at the time it did feel like it's run its course but I felt like a little break mm. Ross and Rachel style where they agreed on it like well, uh, and, then, yeah, and then um, and then I always thought he should have come back 
after Jesse Marsh. I usually be against going back, but I thought that like, Bielsa needs is such a good fit, like the way Pochettino and Tottenham was. I always thought Pochettino just needed a six month break off Spurs mm. and could come back then. I think they missed a the trick not going for Bielsa when he was free. He's the Uruguay manager now. Um, Frank Lampard is also, should he not be in the red uh, after one yeah, of the, the worst? Uh, in fairness, they managed to get a result from that wasn't a, a crushing defeat in the last day of the season, and he did uh, uh, get to speak. Yeah, after a non defeat. Another cut off them again, just like he did after the Manchester United game last Thursday. We discussed it on Friday morning on the show. Um, well, look, it goes to show that I, to, to kind of encapsulate Lampard's second stint as Chelsea manager, we often in the last few weekends have discussed the performance rankings of a Sunday, have suggested Chelsea and Lampard, and I think the consensus was, oh, they're just irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, but it's, yeah. Just, it's over now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely, it's definitely another shout. There are, there are a lot of omissions today that could have got in. Mm. But Lampard, where does he go from here? Where does, does he, he go? For where it, does yeah. he go? Is a genuine question. Do you think he'll be? Do you think he'll manage the side any side next season? Not to, no, well, not any not side. Not next season. You mean in any league? Any league? Um, do you think he'll get a job? Yeah, Leeds. You can easily see Leeds. Do you think so? Oh, Leeds are exactly the type of um, shotgun team that'll be like, oh, we need something high profile that the yeah, American owners have heard the name of, <laughs> and uh, it'll be like, yeah, we know him. He's. Uh, what's, what's I think Sam. Like? But he did get a championship side to a playoff final before. Uh, with like was Mason Mount playing on the team? Yeah. Part of the playoff, yeah. part of the championship. No. Look, according to well, I mean, it wasn't particularly uh, rent in some players and get take a <laughs> mediocre side and put it in. Right, come on, even Aston Villa got out of the championship. There you go. Ago, yeah. Yeah. I, um, suggestion by Emma Carroll to put Aston Villa in the green today for both the Premier League and WSL seasons. Yeah, on the Premier League side, Unai Emery you must be absolutely thrilled. Very close to Conference yeah, League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just a little bit like, oh, will they have the squad to manage? Like they didn't have a squad to manage any cup runs this year, and he basically. Through the through the tin hat at the cups, um, which was it turns out the right thing to do. In they probably are unlucky actually. Yeah, when you think about it, you, like Spurs did their job in the last day to get Europa Conference League, but Villa, Villa beat a good Brighton team, and, and then Rachel Daly of course banging in goals and the WSL as well. So, good weekend for the club, Jer. Yeah, Roy Keane had one final cut off David de Gea before the season ended. <laughs> Don't know if you saw that. He got oh. his awarded his uh, clean. Sheets of the season award, his trophy. Golden Golden gloves. United, yeah. yeah, United. That's the one. Clean gloves, United yeah. players started patting him on the head. He's like, "What's that? What are they patting him on the head for? They need to get rid of him." And then Mick Richards like, "Put up all the clean sheets." He's like, nah, not having him. He's right. Not good enough. He's right. He is right. No, he is correct. Look, maybe maybe Keane only needed control of a club where he had a budget to be able to get rid of players, mm. or maybe he's just a world class pundit and a terrible manager. So. That is quite possible. Also. Not an unusual combination. Queeveen Kelleher conceding four goals to Liverpool too. Could have been in the red also. Yeah. But I mean. Nathan Collins, like just back in the team last week and then absolutely spanked on the last day of the season. But he did play the full 90 minutes. So, you know, <laughs> on the flip side, he got to see every one of those uh, goals up close and personal. Um, so, yeah, he could easily win it. I do think, we're just all joking aside, that the Cork City fans who were chanting about Stephen Bradley's son on Friday night should be in the red. And... Like anybody who is not reporting them or helping Cork City identify them, um, there is talk of lifetime bans from from all activity, and Cork were out pretty quick with their statement. But like, this is this is completely unacceptable. It is absolutely disgusting, and the fact that Stephen Bradley is the one who had to come out and talk about it, and maybe that was just the way it happened in in, in the sequence of events. But um, you would really hope that Cork had a handle on that quickly and that they're the ones who are doing the investigation and finding the fans. And, because, uh, you know, for a chant to be heard, it needs to be multiple people. And so that'll have been seen. Mm. And there'll have been some kind of people on the, on the fringe going, ha ha, oh, that's, uh, maybe that's a bit... Uh, but, like, somebody knows something, and you really hope that they 
get identified quickly and and prosecuted whatever whatever the full rigors of the law are it's not just a ban but like I, I maybe look maybe you can't put people in prison for being absolute um disgusting people but like i don't know this is this seems all right so i've obviously uh, gone too far with that but uh they should definitely be banned for life that's mm. pathetic i think anyone who even thinks up a chant about a sick eight or nine year old kid is is uh just sick in the head and it, I think Cork City's response was quick and, and as you say if they can just pinpoint the fans and who they were outside the ground I think they mentioned in the, in the statement as well but um, yeah that's disgusting behaviour so hopefully they'll be found and uh, kicked out of the game we move on to the other red this morning lads and it is going to be Cork hurling Cullum I know you're not going to like this. It's just Cork generally, Colin. Is is that, Cork, is that? Yeah, we just put the county in there. Yeah. What happened there? Well, I mean, look. Limerick 325, Cork 130. Um, Limerick roaring back, making a fifth straight Munster final as well and sending Cork out of the championship. So uh, 41,000 just just under in the TUS Gaelic rounds as well, watching this one. Um, Patrick Horgan hitting 114, but uh, sadly for Cork, it wasn't enough. The performance, probably and possibly their best of the championship so far, which is why... Colm, I know you're possibly going to argue that them in the performance rankings in red is a controversial one. If anyone uh, from the Munster side should be in red this morning, it should be Tipperary, who nearly blew it. But against Waterford. Nearly, though. Well, they lost the game, yeah, I How can you put a side in red when they lost by a point to the two best sides in the country? Well, uh, like... That's, it, all, that's all they lost, like. So Cork are out, right? But uh, Dublin are still through, even though they coughed up uh, a Wexford-esque lead against Galway is there is, are we still all like the Munster Harding Championship is the best championship in the world even though we now have a weakened All-Ireland series because everybody is fixated on the Munster Championship being the be-all and end-all are we sure this is the right thing to do that Cork are gone they're now also rans and there isn't even a goblet of minor prestige for them to lean into no Talchon Cup for them they're the best team knocked out of the championship in years, aren't they? Well, like they could have gone their, to win it's their earliest championship exit since 2001. Yeah, well, 22 ca- years in a calendar year. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, they've yeah. Been beaten, you know, yeah. earlier in the season. Uh, also against Limerick, but I presume we're putting them in red because it's so cruel. Uh, I yeah. think like it's performance. Like they were again brilliant yesterday. I think we're putting them in the red because they're out, and actually, I'm not sure that uh, the championship structures are as amazing as everybody says they are. Now, look, I'm definitely in two minds. I could easily be convinced that uh, if if this wasn't knockout, nobody would be going to the games because people don't really care about the title. But I don't know about that either. Like, everybody's showing up because they're hurling fans and they're watching the best hurlers in the country go against each other. Does it matter that, like, they're out? I, I'd be interested to see what hurling fans think about the structure now because I was chatting to Conneth Gilligan at the weekend um, and we were both of the agreement that we actually quite enjoy, enjoyed the first round of the, the group phase and the football side of things. And I did not expect to enjoy the first round. I was like, oh, this is only going to heat up when there's actual jeopardy at stake. But it turns out there is jeopardy in the first round. Um, I think the results have been so kooky that like, all of a sudden you feel like anything could happen. Yeah, makes it more interesting. Yeah, and like the best players playing a lot of games. Is that not what we want? It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, is it not mad that Dublin are in the championship? Like, No, no yeah. disrespect, but Dublin are in a different stage of evolution although albeit new managers first season blah 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 but like Cork have been building an underage structure for the last decade and a half last decade at least and it looks like those players are finally starting to come through and they have a little bit of strength notwithstanding the injuries they have just feels a little bit unfair after the weekend and after the championship we've had now sorry uh, Galway who had won in All-Ireland were also knocked out in the last round of the round robin in the previous one before Covid so like they're not the greatest team ever to be knocked out in the round robin 
I have to just want to have a, a little bit of a. It was Scales Galway, wasn't it? That team. So I, I, he, he wasn't defending himself, or maybe he will later on. I've only listened to the first half an hour of the hurling pod so far. But um, Cork, a victim of geography. It's, it's awful. Boy. There's two, two uh, comments Cork, here. Cork victimhood is, is interesting. Right? Look um, into my veins. A victim of geography. What do you mean? Because they're in Munster just. Yeah, they're out now. Like, you know, the, oh, we're, we're down here, but like, as Charles already alluded to, almost accidentally, the Cork shouldn't be out. Two comments here. Uh, Connor, 1272. Cork are building something for the future under Pat Ryan our time will come but then John Claffey on the other side how many chances do Munster teams want? Well, I, I mean I, the same number of chances as everybody else it's just that now we don't have a championship where like Cork could legitimately be the best team in the country for the next two months but we'll never know there is a possibility that they're getting better game on game and before you tell me oh well, why didn't they win because they had Limerick away from home the, the vagaries of it this year they ended up with yeah Limerick in an away game and like we do know home advantage matters and certainly they got a and fairly, fairly sweet penalty decision given uh, the home team did the away team didn't you know this so soft this stuff matters so look I don't know I just I'm not I'm putting them I'm putting them in the red they're out that's the end of the season I don't know if it's necessarily particularly fair no it's the harshest red I yes. think I think in my uh, in my made up power rankings for 2024 I'm, I'm going to have a little a little sniff of Cork to win the All Ireland. Oh, oh, nice. oh yeah! You're giving the Cork fans a bit of hope this morning, Jared. Just think, think of the think of the grudge they will be nursing for the next eleven months. Grudge at who though? The chat, the structure, well, everything. The injustice, the injustice of the world, the ungovernable sea. They lost those games. They lost to Limerick. Like, you know, but it's it's. Like, yeah, I mean, I they, said the, it's the performance. Like, they did lose. It's, yeah, it's, it's the performance. But like they have control over that. They don't have control over the structure. So be cry, cry about things you don't. They were, you, you it was a brilliant over. match. Like it was like the match of the weekend. Yeah, and they're and in red. And, and, and it was a very dodgy penalty against it's the three-time slash on verge of you know six All Ireland in a row. Their shooting being told. was a hundred percent after twenty minutes. Eleven points from eleven. It's not bad, is it? Do you know what I mean? The, the performance no, I certainly the weekend say, wasn't in red. I will say, look, the other side of it. In the second half, like they were level at half time. They were only level once in the second half. They never went ahead, Cork. Yeah. And like they, all the games really this year have been tight. It's on their cusp of something, but like the difference in mentality and feeling towards Cork between now and this time last year, like mm. it's a different world. Pretty so positive. There's a lot to look forward to for under Pat Ryan's side. Like they'll be kind of the moral victors of the championship. You know, like in a few weeks time, a moral victory. When the when the quality of matches dissipate, everyone will miss a Cork. We should still be here at the party. We right. went home early. Come on, we've got to keep going. Move on to Amber. Uh, we'll move on to Amber and the Gaelic football side of things. We've just briefly mentioned Dublin and Monaghan are the teams that we've mentioned here in Amber for for uh, reasons uh, I don't know really, but um, <laughs> certainly from the Monaghan perspective. I don't know why they're in Amber, but uh, I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, <laughs> a word Dublin. against this last night. Well, listen, yeah, I know, I wanted to save it for, for on air. It has more impact. Um, Dublin, uh, there was a point during the game where um, Jim and Murta scores an unbelievable uh, score off the left to make it eight points to four in the second half. In the first half, goes to nine five for half time. You're thinking Ross Common have this? Like they're they're actually Dublin aren't creating anything. Um, and every time Ross Common come forward, they look like uh, doing something dangerous. A bit of a fortuitous goal, I think, for for John Small as well, the keeper. I mean, was it legal? I wasn't uh, sure. It was definitely. I mean, I'm not. Anyway, I guess they they gave it. Again, gave it. Hometown decisions would have been would have been harsh to possibly disallow it. But um, Cormac Costello, to be fair, had a brilliant game for Dublin throughout, especially in the second half. Just not from place balls. Yeah, just not from place balls. But certainly from play, he was involved in a lot and kicked a few nice scores I think from seven play. points in total, two forty fives and, and two frees. So, but did miss some frees, and you're like, are Dublin going to win All Ireland without somebody who's that like mm. 
95% in the Ireland final. Basically, you're rock. allowed to miss one as opposed to two. Was the, then, the free at the end, Sean Bugler puts Dublin two ahead and then towards the end, Conor Cox earns the free that's obviously brought forward to where the ball lands and Donny Smith taps it over to where in Ross in the draw. I don't know, was that a foul? Um, there was a debate last night on the television on the Sunday game about, about the, that oh, particular Oh, referee and they never did that. I know, <laughs> not at all. But I think, it, look, the, the reason that you won't hear about that is because a draw was a fair result. Ross Common certainly earned at least a draw from that game. Um, Ross Common built on their Division 1 form as well. I was feel, feeling very cocky after last week about having the dubs at number 1 and the performance ranking. I'm just not sure about it at the moment. Mm. I'm just not sure about it at the moment. It didn't feel like... Uh, it felt like they weren't tuned in. And maybe maybe they're periodising for a quarter-final. They don't care who they play. Quarter-final, semi-final, final. But, like... Now they've left it down to scoring difference. Whoever beats Sligo and Kildare by the most will get the home... Uh, sorry, will we'll go straight through to the quarterfinal. And then you'll have to play uh, week in, week out. And they have injuries. So Davy Byrne went off and Kilkenny went off. And it looked like they had a really strong squad. But loads of those players uh, who we thought were going to just come back and be in their old form aren't in their old form. So I'm just... I you know Dublin. When, like, when did Dublin hit only one eleven in Krug Park? Like, have you, when do you, have you last seen that? I, I, well, maybe it's happened recently enough, but certainly it doesn't happen too often. One eleven for Dublin Krug Park. The body language after the match as well didn't look too positive from a Dublin perspective. You have to give credit to Davy Burke because he could you could easily go to Krug Park and put in this um, defensive setup and they just didn't. Let me tell you. So Dublin one eleven, Kildare thirteen points in the league, and Dublin fourteen points, Kildare twelve. Right, so that's, that's very un-Dublin esque. Well, they're, they're, exactly. Uh, I think that's the point is that the the new Dublin ain't the old Dublin and so they are I mean I'm, I'm, I might be looking at Mayo and Galway as my 1A one, one this week when we have Tommy on later on in the week mm. uh, we also have Monaghan and Amber um, uh, lovely Saturday evening in Celtic Park uh, by the looks of it on uh, on Saturday night and, and 14 points apiece it finishes uh, Monaghan probably had the game in their grasp three points up at one stage in the second half and then Gary, Gary Mohan gets a black card so 10 minutes with a man less Um and then towards the end, Shane McGuigan kicks an unbelievable free off the left to, to swing Derry into a one-point advantage very, very late on. And Monaghan come forward with one last attack and you're thinking, just one more score. And Carl O'Connell, who's been absolutely brilliant, he's in his mid-30s and he's so quick still, so fit, uh, and popped over an unbelievable point um, to equalise for Monaghan. I think it's similar to the Roscommon game, probably deserved a draw. Um, Monaghan have learned a lot from the, the previous Derry game where they were tanked by eight points. If they, and it was like a, eight points... They were lucky to get eight points. Yeah, for sure. I, I, Derry that day were just really, really good. Um, J- uh, Conor McManus had a knock, so he doesn't start the game uh, at the weekend there. Uh, comes on in injury time. Jack McCarn comes on late as well. They didn't start him. So what does all this mean? Are, are Derry flaky? Are they, did it, last week the Ulster final take too much out of them? Or? Well, I, was ta- I was talking to someone within the Monaghan camp um, yesterday, and the, the, the idea is that Monaghan, after that game, realised fitness was the key. Derry were far fitter than Monaghan. So they, the last four weeks, Monaghan have a chance to, to focus on fitness. It's not often you lose a game and your very next game is against the same opposition. Um, and clearly Monaghan focused on things that, that Derry taught them that day. That's the one thing about Vinnie Corey, he, as he said to, about his team, they learn pretty quickly. Right. And they focused on that and, and just changed the, the game plan. Put in some faster players. Ryan McInnesby came home from Australia since that last Derry game. Can you work on fitness in four weeks at this level? Can you do that? You can probably put more of an e- uh, emphasis on it in training. I would have, I would have thought. Right, um, it's really interesting to hear that. Like, I, 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 you know, oh, you you do your base fitness work in November, and that's it. It can never, you can never change it. You can never alter it. I but. don't subscribe to that theory at all. Like, 
Uh, you can certainly change it in a few weeks. And there was a lovely moment in the second half where Rory Baggin kicks a, a 45 from the wrong side for a right footer. And he's getting absolutely slaughtered by the Derry fans and just pops it over and gives it, gives it a little fist. So, we're not going to have a lot of time to um, get into the red here, but uh, Barbalatza83 asks the important question in the comments this morning. Where are all the cocky South African comments this morning? Was an amazing night in Cape Town. We drank the ferryman's dry. I don't know. I've no, is the ferryman's in, in Cape Town? Is it famous? Yeah. Share us your stories of um, the sacking of Cape Town by uh, Munster at the weekend. Because Munster are in the green, right? Mm. I see somebody else earlier complaining, oh, why are Munster in the green? It's only reserved for Leinster, isn't it? It's like, no, mate. Uh, they're, li- they're literally... They're, I don't Maybe you're still gee-eyed from whatever you were up to in the aftermath of the game, and fair play to you. But Munster are indeed in the green. Yeah, indeed. Someone had commented on the YouTube earlier saying we won't put Munster in the green because we only put Leinster in the green. But... Uh, Look away now, because you're wrong. Munster deservedly in the green. And look, if you were one of those Munster fans, I don't know how many made the trip. Was it 5,000? Quinny was saying on Friday. Uh, that made the 12,000 mile trip over to Cape Town. Um, what, what an experience you had, because 12 years without a trophy and Munster so impressive uh, on what looked like an absolutely atrocious pitch in, in Cape Town against the Stormers. Um, and so many good performances. A five-point lead at halftime, 12-7. Um, and Stormers come back into it, certainly in the second half. That 14-12 lead, uh, and you're thinking... They're going to need something special here, Munster. But something special arrived. The lovely photo there of Keith Earls yeah. with uh, the player on, on the, the player's shoulders, and it shows what it all means behind the scenes as well. RG Snyman was brilliant when he came in for Peter Mahoney in that match as well. And John Hodnett is getting deservedly a lot of plaudits for his performance too for Munster. Um, and as I said on Friday, look, if Munster win this match, they're the only team to win a province or to win a trophy as an Irish province this year. So Irish rugby's not dead, lads. It's a bit like the Arsenal and Manchester United's uh, comparison. Who had the better season, Munster or Leinster? Um, oh, I, I think Munster fans are much happier with their season. Than yeah. fans. And have had the better season. Do you know? Like, uh, that's the, you gotta you gotta take your medicine. You gotta swallow hard. It tastes disgusting, but uh, it's good for the, it's really good that there's now a proper rivalry. And Leinster will want to crush Munster next season, and Munster will want to show Leinster that this was this is a new order that's being established. It's a remarkable turnaround. We were talking about the, the start of the Graham Roundtree tenure, that it was very disappointing, very underwhelming, followed on from Jan van Gran. Where are the improvements coming from? And even the mid-season slump, conceding 130 points in three games, it all seemed to change against the South Africa select side, Parky Cueve, last winter. That was uh, the big turn winter. Point, wasn't it? Uh, but even then, even, even in springtime, it like, looked like Champions Cup participation next season wasn't going to happen at all. So in the last few weeks, six games in a row, it's changed around big time. And like not just Keith Earls, but you'd be delighted for Peter O'Mani and then the John Hadnett interview afterwards is one of the great comic timing moments of Peter O'Mani's slow hand to the face as Hadnett starts off his uh, interview in this Has he not of, done it himself though? Has he not? Yeah, it's classical valley. Uh, has he not like okay? <laughs> Reminded of himself, surely. it is like one of your kids doing the same thing that you've done before and you're like, Oh no, I've passed it on. Can't give out. Um yeah, look, we're going to talk Keith Wood about this in, in more depth in just a moment. We'll obviously have Quinny on later on in the week. But if you are a Munster fan who was at the game, uh, give us your thoughts and we'll keep reflecting on those very quickly. Um, Tommy Tommy was in touch earlier on. Morning, lads. A few takeaways from what was an epic weekend at Hurling. We've got the fastest game in the world. One referee makes all the decisions. We have instant replays. The fourth official could have a monitor pitch side for the ref in high stakes calls. It's dealt with quickly. Hurling is so fast. Two refs are essential in today's games. Umpires should be experienced, assistant or retired referees to ensure good calls are being made. This is the other thing. That's very an excellent point. And the pressure is taken off the referees. But then the last one is, right, the GA should restructure the championship. Quality teams getting knocked out while Joe McDonough teams get through. They have their own comp. Carlo can technically win two All-Irelands in the same year. 
it's a, it, it, that's actually that's the winning argument here right uh, uh, those teams are still through Cork are out it should be a playoff between Cork and those teams and then Cork should have uh, like they should be punished for being the fourth best team but they shouldn't be out mm. like but should the Joe McDonough Cup winners not be given that opportunity to why though this year they, they've won their All-Ireland in a way do you know what I mean like but, that was their All-Ireland that was the thing that you entered at the start of the year congratulations what's the point in them going out and getting hammered next week it's extra motivation to perform in the Joe McDonough isn't it what's if you the, have the carrot in the end of the stick well, being the All-Ireland participation but like I don't know I, I, I don't I actually I think it's tokenistic at this stage that like oh you'll get this thing even though you're nowhere near the standard of it because you haven't had a season in the league or two seasons in the league to get to the standard where you can be properly competitive yeah, I can see arguments for both sides to be fair it's one of those awkward I, ones I can't see any arguments for it. well I, I agree that I'm not both sides in this buddy no but maybe maybe the playoff gives both teams a chance like if, if yeah if the Joe McDonough winners have a game against Cork or whatever yeah it's hard to argue against that one is this Monaghan FM? Far too much time spent talking about Monaghan, says JP. Yeah, Ryan. I, there, I agree, I agree. What are you talking Absolutely. about? Absolutely. Why? Because they're not relevant. Come on, move just, on. Yeah, we got to go. Drew the Ulster Champions. Like, get out of it, lads. They're talking shite. Sorry. Um, Rashida Adelecki, we should mention as well. What a performance from her the weekend. Uh, smashed her own Irish record of a 400 metres. She keeps just beating her own records. Uh, posted the fourth fastest time in the world this year at the NCAA Championships in Austin. Uh, only last month, she broke the 50-second barrier for the first time. Uh, 49.9 so she's on 49.54 at the weekend um, so she's just ridiculous she keeps breaking records uh, most of them her own um, so fair play to Rashid Adelecki and well worth I think I mentioned in the green as well this morning uh, the other uh, element in green for us is Luton Town and Chelsea um, Chelsea women's team of course because we mentioned the men's uh, Luton's story has just been unbelievable so obviously the last time they were in the Premier League was, was the first year of the or the last no, never, year never before sorry never yeah, really, before. since 92 yeah. 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 Um, but the work that Rob Edwards has done uh, and that performance the weekend to beat Coventry City on penalties at Wembley uh, really really impressive you look at their stadium and we were mentioning it before, before today Kenilworth Road you walk through a housing estate to get to the away end and it's just bizarre and remarkable and brilliant um, and to see that in the Premier League next year is going to be uh, quite incredible the, the, the game itself um, like the, the collapse of their captain in the first Lock half, there, yeah. Lock, yeah. Tom Lockyer, like you're thinking this is very concerning, but then he's taken off and, and um, I think his parents came into the dressing room to him and he watches the penalties from the hospital bed, I think, with all his heart monitors and stuff on. Uh, so glad he's okay. Uh, but the work that Rob Edwards has done since he came in has been amazing. So good to see him in the Premier League. Jim Sullivan says, but Munster are only in the light shade of green. Lol. No, the light shade of green is the first ones. They were the first ones. That's how that works. There's no like, uh, oh, you're kind of only a we, little bit We green. started with Munster green last night. And I, love, else. I love the paranoia that you have that we're somehow trying to do this down or, you know, bitterly, angrily, somehow it's not, it ain't true. Yeah. And the Chelsea that I mentioned, Chelsea beat Reading 3-0 in the WSL at the weekend. Emma Hayes, the job she's done is amazing. Sam Kerr gets two of those games. A fourth successive lead title for them. And uh, she's just taking them on to another level. So fair play. Four minutes past eight. That is this week's version of the Gillette Labs Performance Rankings. OTBAN's Performance Rankings with Gillette. Uh, Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off The Ball. Braeburn Coffee coming to an Apple Green store near you. New locations are popping up every month. Visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Braeburn to find your nearest Braeburn Coffee experience. After the break, Keith Woods. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off The Ball. Three, two, one, go. Whether you're a Drive to Survive fan or a Grand Prix expert, now you can stay up to date with the world of F1. The F1 pod on Off The Ball with Chicago Town Pizza. 
the ultimate podcast for F1 fans. The F1 pod will keep you on the edge of your seat. For the best insight and analysis, subscribe to the Off The Ball daily podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Coming soon, the F1 pod on Off The Ball with Chicago Town Pizza. Formula One? Yeah, we go to town on it. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Right, I'm delighted to say Keith Wood is with us. Keith, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. I'm very good. Thank you. Very good form. I was going to say, it's um, we don't really know how to do these uh, post-match analysis where once they've done everything that they're supposed to do and come away with all of the spoils. They did. They came away with the spoils. Um, it was... Got a fantastic match, fantastic occasion, um, nerve wracking, really. Um, the way finals are supposed to be, I think, and and to see them coming out at the end and coming out in that fashion, um, which was you know getting a score that um, that pretty much incorporated all the players for Hadnett to score in the corner, which was pretty fantastic, and then to see the touchline conversion, which like every single part of that worked well. Uh, where where in the season, as we look back at the various turning points, where did this come from, do you think? Um, it's very hard now. Look, doing a retrospective, it's very hard not to be retrospective. But um, the I think an awful lot of it came from even the losing the games at the very start. I think it was the recognition that, um, that the... Uh, the backroom staff and Graham Rowntree had that the, the team weren't fit enough to play the style that they wanted to play. And they ended up having a much longer preseason. Um, and they, they pretty much gave up the first few matches. Now, I still think they expected to win those games. There were games they, they should have won and, and couldn't get it right. But, uh, I think the players were pretty much flat at the start of the season for the first three or four games. Um, partly because of that level of training, but I think it's paid off at the end and, um, I thought that was going to put them under too much pressure for them to qualify for Europe next year, for them to get into the um, knockout stages for the URC. And then they dug their way back from it. And I do, I know I was listening to you just before the break, and I do think that that South African game in Porky Cueve was, um, was something else again. I think it was an opportunity for, uh, for Roundtree to really pick um, young Munster players and uh, and get them onto the field on a on a very pressurized situation that isn't that pressurized because nobody expected anything from them. Um, that they then performed so well, which was brilliant, and I think it gave an extra fillip to the to the more senior players that there actually was strength and depth that there you could rely on different guys. Um, and if you know, if I was to 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 be really impressed by anything this year. And I have been impressed by all the coaches and Leamy coming in and Prendergast. And, and that's fantastic. We can talk about those again. Um, but I actually think the selection was different this year. Um, um, I don't know to what level of pressure the IRFU put teams uh, under in their selection. I know that they have an influence. They just didn't seem to have much of an influence with Munster this year. And, and it looked like Roundtree picked whoever it is he wanted to pick um, and he didn't uh, he didn't rest on anybody's reputation. He picked players that he thought would do a job for him, and he I think he's invested in youth. And 
I know they talked about the thousands that went down there. There is a reaction, a palpable reaction, um, irrespective of the results, but now enhanced by the results that, that this is, this is a monster team that, um, that supporters can follow, that it had drifted away from what it was for a good few years. And now it seems to be coming back to something. And that doesn't, isn't a guarantee of success. And it's, 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 uh, you know, it's it's still early days, but it's early days with a trophy in the cabinet, and that's pretty fantastic. So for me, I look back in the season to a huge level of surprise that they've got silverware, um, huge joy that they have, and a huge joy for some of the players that have played that are, are now holding a trophy and have a trophy at the end of their careers, which is pretty astounding, you know. And, and it's a great launching pad for all the new guys that are there. John Hodnett is a name you mentioned already there, Keith, and, and uh, there's just some moments where he makes the big carry early on, wins a penalty just after that that first try from Stormers as well, and the try that you mentioned, uh, not to mention his, his interview afterwards as well. He was just brilliant. Yeah, look, uh, Hodnett for, for me has has got progressively better all along. He was, I mean, I, look, we were talking on this a couple of years ago when he came on the scene, and we were saying, come on, get him in, get him in, and then he picked up a couple of fairly long injuries, which um, which kind of uh, stalled the ball there for him. And his game when he came back for me was was of an excellent standard, but limited. And it's grown as the season has gone along. And he has offered more consistently when he's played. Um, but his aggression um, in the tackle has been essential Um that low slung back row forward um, is uh, and 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 the impact that he has and the running that he has and the I have to say the sort of uh, almost the, the clarity of being in the right place at the right time. I think the fitness as well is there. So he has, which has been a great joy, is he's played his best rugby in the last couple of months. You know that's. So it's it's coming to the standard that you'd want it to be at the end of the season. A lot of guys are wrecked at the end of the season, and um, and I think in times past, Munster were pretty wrecked at the end of the season, and they didn't look it, um, and they were pinned to their collar for a lot of that game. Um, and look, you have to just be thrilled for him because he's now putting his hand up, and I don't think you'd have said that even at the start of the season. Um, to to just briefly go back to like staging posts along the way I know it's a one-off game against South Africa and it kind of in itself doesn't really matter or mean anything but they sold out Porky Cueve and it felt like it was kind of a reactivation or a reanimation of a fan base because it was something unusual and it was it just a like it I don't know your, your point about the Van Graan era and how maybe the team and the fans weren't fully aligned with what everybody was trying to achieve or there was just a a bit of a blockage it begins to flow away after that and even just getting Leamy and Prendergast back they're all little very important tokens but like uh, it's it's people who've gone off and done things the hard way and not just been given a job because oh you're a local former player who we're going to um, try and build up over the next few seasons so they've they've done this and in, in, uh, all these little different bits seem to add together to a whole that then is actually greater than the sum of its parts I do, and I don't think it's a finished product by any stretch of the imagination. And that's the other piece that's 
that's um, that's very encouraging is that um, a lot of things went wrong this season. Um, but if I go on to the Porky Cueve match, Munster's history, uh, and not saying that the other provinces don't attach more or as much importance to their history, but Munster, it just seems to be um, folded in entirely that the matches against international teams are the ones that are remembered in history. And um, and I can remember as a kid going to um, Munster All Blacks in 89 down in Cork and it being the most astounding game to go and watch. And, um, you know, I'm being involved in a game there then against Australia three years later. I was on the bench three years later. And these were huge days and they kind of reignited that element of it being something else. So I think it was great to have it back, um, have one of those international games back. To have it in Porky Cueve was phenomenal. And um, look, there is... A uh, big investment in Cork. Um, there is a big investment around the province to try and 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 bring up the structures higher. It's 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 still at the start of that process, and um, it'll take a period of time. But I think Cork has been a bit disengaged um, uh, because of being based in Limerick, and I think it did need to be based somewhere, and it did need an upgrade of all its facilities. But now it's going to be upgraded across the board, which is important. Um, but to have it in Cork and to have that many people there is, it was phenomenal. And it's something that has to be viewed again and again and again, because in not doing it, there's a gap. So, um, I think that did kickstart an awful lot, but I also think a lot of the players responded incredibly well. And, and, um, on that particular day, for me, it was a day that, uh, Ben Healy came out of his shell. Um, I thought he played incredibly well. Um, and for me, that's one of the, the few kind of downsides is that it didn't quite um, kick on to him playing a huge amount for Munster. And he has only in the last period of time. And actually, I love his comments over the weekend that he is delighted that he's he's spent his time and he's he's had the, the uh, a medal at the end of it. And he was very gracious with it. Um, but he heads off to play for Scotland, you know, and notwithstanding any of that, we have to take some pride in that idea as well. And he's, he's, he's an international player now, but um, um, I do think that could have been a really interesting battle for Munster for the next few years. And, and actually the way Graham Rowntree managed it, it wasn't a battle. It was complimentary to both himself and Jack Crowley. Um, and I thought Crowley was fantastic. That's the best game he's played for Munster, which, which is in a final, which is phenomenal. Well, let's just talk about that because a bit of pressure on him, you suspect, after last week. Just to, And I'm sure he's not thinking about the Ireland thing at all. But actually, he has, it seems certainly he would have catapulted ahead of Ross Byrne on the basis of what we've seen in the last couple of weeks. Well, what, what I've liked and disliked about Crowley was... Um, like he got his chance, his chance, um, and then it's hard to argue against Roundtree. He's kind of managed the players very well, but he he was there as one of the guys in the line for the for the um, for the World Cup. He had to have been because he's you know he's one of these young talents, and then he gets picked at twelve for a lot of the games that he starts with Monster, and that's quite hard. But it gets him in maybe without the pressure and. Um, I do like that idea of having a player on the field that doesn't have to be the pivot. And I think that has managed to work very well. Um, but in the last few weeks, and then when he did start at 10, I felt he was too deep. 
um, consistently too deep, which is very understandable because of the pressure that you're under. You want to have enough time to make the right decision to get the ball through your hands comfortably, you know, to the place to where you want it to go to. Um, and, but in the last couple of weeks, again, how he's been managed, being picked and not being picked and coming off the bench and playing in the center and a whole variety of different elements. Um, he hasn't, he seems to have grown and it hasn't detracted from him in any way, shape or form, whatever job he's been asked to do. He just seems to have got a little bit better. I think the drop goal a couple of weeks ago has given him the courage to, to maybe take a couple of more risks and maybe the coaches have, have given him that uh, allowance to be able to do it. But I didn't think he was as deep in this game and he's far more of a threat and he's a fine footballer, but he looked calm and it's quite amazing to have that sort of situation. We were talking about Ron Nogara and La Rochelle last week, that a lot of the players there seem to be very calm. But I thought Crowley was calm. And um, and without even thinking about it, there was a bit of a guarantee of a grasping of the mantle when he took that final kick, that conversion of Hodnett's try. I just, I don't know what I wasn't thinking, but I just presumed it would be Healy would yeah. kick that one. And and it wasn't, and it didn't seem to be up for discussion. And it isn't that he took it, it's that he absolutely nailed it. Yeah. And so they're all huge positives. And um, uh, and again, doing those in the finals with the sense of calm is pretty astounding. Uh, Keith, I know this is a very difficult thing to quantify, but how much will the build-up and some of the things said and done in the build-up have played into Munster's hands? I mean, the like, so we're going to f you up. Well, basically, the video, of course, from the Stormers' uh, um, VIP lounge, I think it was, celebrating uh, Munster beating Leinster in the semi, and also the, the, this talk of Munster being in bonus territory. I think John Klein mentioned it and referred to it in a pre-match press conference that you know they're not there just to make up the numbers and be happy with the final. So, how much will that have helped? A lot of matches are bonus territory; finals aren't. And I have to say, I think the pressure that was on Monster was pretty astounding because of um, the failure to perform in semis and finals over the last number of years. Um, and so I think the pressure was on Monster. I, I, I actually, I know the, I know the comment about being a bonus territory is was considered to be a bit patronising by by the players and the management and they weren't feeling it in that fashion but irrespective of that idea I actually think it was the total opposite I think the pressure was actually on Munster to to, to go out and deliver um, and so for me the most gratifying thing to watch was the pressure was on Munster um, uh, Anton Frisch made an un- uncharacteristic hash of a pass don't shovel shit is the, st- is the story when, when you're tackled and you're falling you don't continue doing what you were going to do and there was no panic from Munster. And there was a, a composure for the whole game, you know. And so for that, you know, I think I think they took what was said about them and they used it exactly the way they should use it. And um, that bit of bitterness, there's no harm in that at all. And um, no, it's not something, it's something that can work from time to time, but it doesn't work all the time. So um but we, you take absolutely everything you can to get a result, you know. So 
if it's perceived uh, disrespect or whatever you want to do or actual disrespect, use whatever you have, whatever tools you can put into the into the toolbox to get the job done. And I think that was done. Can we get some um, specific thoughts on the, the front row? Because we've been told that Munster are going to win nothing until they beef up their front row. They need world-class injection of talent. And uh, they managed to go away to... a. Uh, a fever pitch Cape Town against a storied South African scrummaging team on a bad pitch and hold their own? Um, I thought the front row did incredibly well. Um, there there weren't colossal number of scrums. Um, they were under pressure, but they were fine with the pressure. I thought they were a little bit lower than they have been, which is essential against South African teams, and especially when the ground is poor. Um Everything can collapse and collapse easily. Um, I still think they need to improve and, um, and that's fine because there's been a change. There's tried to be a change there for a long period of time and it's taking its time more so in the front row than anywhere else. And there is a bit of a dirt the front row forward. So, uh, I, 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 they did far better than the past. I can tell you that. And they'll be thrilled to bits because. When you're playing against teams that are bigger and stronger and have that history of it, it's be quite a terrifying place to go and get any result. And the result for for the front row was um, proving a platform. I have to say as well that I'm going to go back to fitness. The fact that the ball was moved as well as it was, and I've been critical of Archer often because he tends to give away an awful lot of penalties. Um, I thought he had a fantastic game. And, um, and I love that fact that, um, he, I think he's fitter as well, but I also think, I think the importance of the day didn't affect the players. It helped them and enhanced them. I've, one so last I one. Was, sorry, go on. Uh, Queenie's been talking about John Klein's form for months, saying that he must be in the Ireland selectors, uh, thought at this stage, and there's been no sign of it. But the extended squad is named this week. Um, has he reached a point now where you'd have to be thinking about him at least? Like the improvement has been so significant that if if you know if he could actually have the extra improvement with the extra coaching at Ireland, then maybe he might be an option for them for the World Cup. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, I think he has limited his, uh, some of his errors by not doing certain things. And um, and even if that sounds a bit negative, it isn't negative. I used to describe Jason Leonard as one of the best forwards of all time because what he did, he did better than anybody else. But it was the things he didn't do. He didn't try and pass the ball too much. He never tried to pop pass. He never tried to, to be a handler in any way, shape or form because he wasn't any good at it. And um, um, I think Klein, for me, has stopped doing as much of that um, because it puts him under more pressure. And but what every team needs is a guy who's willing to do all the grunt work and the really heavy lifting. And he has done an awful lot of that this year. And so whether that's something that Ireland will say is useful, and I think it is useful, actually. Um, I think it is something that's important. But if you want every single player to be able to do every single thing, then I don't think he gets into the squad. But on the basis of what he's actually able to consistently do and do really well, 
um, I think he's a guy you can rely on. Okay, so it'll be up to them to decide what what yeah. they what role that's going to be. Um, one last thing, then, like the the squad's going to be named. They'll have a couple of weeks' holidays. They'll they'll be back very soon, and then it's all World Cup all the time between now and whenever we exit the World Cup at whatever stage that might be. Um, last week, after uh, Leinster being beaten by La Rochelle, did, I, I, I did not feel particularly happy about where we were, but I feel much better now about the fact that there's going to be an influx of players who've just won a big game away from home, who'll be swanning around the place and training, rubbing it in their Leinster teammates' faces for at least the first few days, just bringing a little bit of extra spice, a little bit of extra competition to it. Really, like, fever pitch competition for... Uh, the 10 spot um, if Sexton doesn't make it if Sexton does make it for the backup for game time and all of a sudden I just feel a little bit better about life well look I think um, Munster have to celebrate it firstly um, it's been a long time without a, without a trophy and um, and they do need to celebrate it and I think that that's very important um, I think a lot of the writing off of Ireland after Leinster's loss last weekend is, is was wrong and off the mark um, and I do think it, they need the break. All these guys need the break of this constant talk about rugby and about World Cup, because once they come back into camp, it's about getting back into this idea of delivery, and you know the pressure that that goes goes with it. But I'd go back four years ago and say that the players going into camp at that time were tired, were tired of the season that they'd had, were tired of some of the losses that they'd had. Um, and it was at pretty much at the end of the tenure. Um, and I think they had realized that they were, they were kind of, they were wrecked almost, you know, and so they didn't go into the World Cup buoyant. I think this year you have a grand slam under your belt. Munster have won the first trophy for a while. Leinster will have to, to lick their wounds a little, but. Like Leinster had an extraordinary season that just just didn't work at the very end, you know. Um, they're going to have to get over that pretty quickly. Yeah. And but I think those players have the capacity. For me, the biggest bonus is that, um, and for Ireland, is that uh, when I looked at the game last weekend, the Stormers played in the final. The Stormers are a really fine team, but they played a conservative style of play pretty much the manner in which Munster have played for five years in semis and finals and Munster were the ones who were trying to move the ball. That's unbelievably important for Ireland because it means you have more strength and depth with players that are more comfortable um, playing with the ball and you have a long period of time with with your coaching panel with, with Andy Farrell and, and his coaches to try and bring that to the next level for a World Cup. I find that pretty exciting. All right, Keith, we'll leave it there. Good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, Jens. So Keith Wood giving us a reaction to a massive, massive victory for Munster and for Irish rugby at the weekend against Stormers in a full house in Cape Town. It's kind of it's kind of perfect. We didn't get to talk to Keith there about it, and uh, just you know, there's definitely been a view that this is such a weird mishmash of a league. And yes, when it finishes like this, and if if the Stormers had won, it would have been back to back South African victories for the first two seasons they were in. It, it was like oh. Duh. We, do we make a, an error here? But um, well, there's, there's no doubt the South Africans have injected a freshness into the URC, like something different. There was a lot of scepticism and raised eyebrows at the outset when it, when it was announced, and all oh, these twelve thousand mile round trips can't be good for anyone. But as you said, that that turnaround from that South Africa A game and even the Champions Cup exit, like they had some unbelievable performances in South Africa in the last number of weeks. Um, so 
I think uh, yeah, th- this idea that Leinster's defeat to La Rochelle is going to be a disaster for Ireland's World Cup hopes and they'll all just remember that painful defeat and losing to a French team and all this. That's a lot of crap. Like, it's in a similar fashion to, I think, Munster winning being an unbelievably good thing for, for Ireland's World Cup hopes. Munster winning and Leinster losing are completely separate. Like, by the time the World Cup rolls around, no one will even remember this. It'll be all in the distant past. It's gone. I mean, I don't know. I think that, like... Um they move on quickly, professional sports people. It's not. It's not that. It's that like uh, now the teams that have beaten England. Sorry, the teams that have beaten Leinster and Ireland mm. uh, was that England team with the the Giants. It was the Saracens, Saracens, La Rochelle, La Rochelle, La Rochelle. <laughs> like there's a there's a pattern there, right? But some of the things that Leinster don't have, like Tyke Byrne, for example. Uh, are really important in games like that where you just have somebody who's winning you three or four penalties at key moments in the game and if you stick Tyburn I don't think Leinster would have lost those games if Tyburn had been playing for them I just don't um, and now I think Crowley's performance is like he's shooting up like a rocket at exactly the right time for us Yeah, but I, I, these are really important things yeah I agree, I agree with that but to an extent but the, I also think if, if it's 12 points apiece Ireland against France in a World Cup massive game and it's the last minute if if an, an Irish player who is from Leinster needs to use some pain from months ago to help them get over the line, or a Munster player needs to use a delight, do you think they the might uh, look for a drop goal? Do you think James Gibbs Bart might go order his ten into well, the maybe, I think he might. Learn. Do you know what I mean? Maybe that's you learn things stuff. like that. But, yeah. that. but that's practical stuff, at least. All right. Okay. No, no Shane's not buying it this morning. <laughs> we'll, we'll take uh, whatever you're having on uh, YouTube.com forward slash off the ball. Oh, I see. I'm getting grief for my uh, throwaway Monaghan remark. Yeah, you can't well, say rightly anything. so. You can't say anything. You said Monaghan are irrelevant. Not just in the middle. In the middle of the they're, like just drew with the Ulster champions. Well, they shouldn't uh, have been an amber. You said they shouldn't have been an amber. Yeah, they're, they're only yeah, an amber. Irrelevant in the context of the amber. Fair. Okay. Right. Recounted. Right. Rob Tanner is with us, the Athletics Leicester City correspondent. Rob, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. I've had better mornings. I was going to say it's. Um, Many trips to unheralded grounds next season coming your direction. Uh, I, I sympathise with you. It's very much off Broadway. What is the as the as you begin to pick through the wreckage of of what comes next? What what does come next for Leicester City? Uh, a fight to get back into the Premier League. I've, I've been covering the club for thirteen seasons now, so I've seen them in the Championship and I've seen how that club's developed and grown enormously. The number of staff they employ there now and. I imagine they're all a little bit worried this morning. Obviously, we know what the financial implications are of relegation. Uh, this is a club that has flown very close to the sun and they've got burnt and they've come crashing down to earth because they've been so obsessed uh, for a number of years with European qualification. They've chased the dream and uh, they just haven't seen relegation. They haven't factored it in uh, to an equation. But it's a very real uh, prospect for any club in the Premier League that aspires to challenge the big six because it's uh, it's a massive task to do that, to bridge that gap in terms of the revenues and the finances. One of the things about being well run is that when you have an asset, you're supposed to cash in on it. But we're seeing somebody like Yuri Tielemans, who maybe would have been 35, 40, 45, 50, 60 million, depending on you know what the market was like at the precise moment that he was coming to market. He's going to be gone for free and a few others are going to be gone for now what looks like cup price deals. I'm not sure if they will end up being cup price deals. Maybe that the market will be hot enough for James Madison. But from a financial perspective, what kind of state are the club in? Um, well, the club will be able to survive. They've got King Power as their safety net. Uh, they've got a loan facility they can draw upon if if need be. But obviously, they're going to take a, a massive 
financial hit. Um, in terms of the player sales, I mean, it's always been their model to, to sell one asset every summer and then reinvest that money. Now, the key there is to reinvest it wisely. And what they haven't done over the last couple of years, a couple of years ago, because of COVID, they decided not to sell an asset because they didn't think the market would bring them enough value. In terms of Yuri Tielemans, there's been no takers for him over the last uh, two years. I mean, it's been well documented that, you know, he's refusing to sign a, a new contract, but nobody's come in for him. Uh, I think he was aspiring for, for a big six club, but... Um, They've all looked at him and thought, well, there's something missing from his game, so we won't take him. Uh, and they turned down two offers from James Madison last summer from Newcastle, the last one being around £32 million, And they obviously thought that wasn't value for him as an asset as well. You don't give your assets away. But obviously that means now they've, they've got to a stage where they've got over £100 million worth of investment in players. They're all leaving for free because they're all out of contract. So they won't get anything for him. The likes of Charles Unchu, Jose Perez and Jordi Tielemans. Uh, Madison's still got a year. So they they could uh, well they will they'll have to cash in on on James Madison this summer Newcastle have retained their interest and Harvey Barnes as well who's had a a good season in terms of the goal scoring ranks so there's business to be done a lot of business because that squad needs rebuilding this summer um, they will probably have the biggest budget in the Championship for sure um, so it's a, an all out effort to get back into the Premier League who will be the manager well we'll wait and see Dean Smith uh, obviously is the interim. Um, He's uh, set to meet with Top, have discussions with Top, but I personally believe they'll be looking elsewhere. They'll be trying to bring in somebody completely fresh, have an overhaul of of things down at Seagrave, the training ground, uh, and and go again with uh, um, with renewed optimism. Uh, I think um, it's been so stale for the last eighteen months or so uh, down there, and it was only going in one direction. And I think um, they were hanging on and hanging on and trying to stick with Brendan Rodgers because of the achievements previously, but. Um, I think for a lot of us, we could see that the, all the warning signs were there, that uh, this was a, a team that were heading for the trapdoor. And uh, it was too late when they brought Dean Smith in for just the last eight games. So he couldn't turn it around. Do you feel rather be a regret at getting rid of Brendan Rodgers when they did? Personally, um, no, I don't think so. I think um, there was a disconnect between him and some of his players. Uh, there was certainly a disconnect between the fan base and Brendan as well. Um, despite his achievements previously. Um, I think they'll regret they didn't do it earlier and, and give Dean Smith more of an opportunity um, to, to and John Terry and Craig Shakespeare's assistants as well, just to, to breathe new belief into this squad. I mean, this was a squad that Brendan had said publicly on more than one occasion that uh, needed refreshing. A lot of the players had gone as far as they could with the club and he wanted to move them on. And then uh, FFP comp- uh, constraints meant that he couldn't, so he had to try and get a tune out of them and... Uh, by that time, I think he'd lost a lot of that dressing room. So um, yeah, I think they should have done it a lot earlier. Has the defence been the, the main issue and concern? We were talking earlier in the show about the, the lack of clean sheets. I think the Newcastle game, the, the one previous to that was back in November. So clearly that's an issue. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, some the number of soft goals they've given away all season, individual errors, giving the ball away in the wrong areas of the pitch, being vulnerable to the counter-attack. And sometimes the setup defensively as well. I mean, the two centre-backs have, have been left totally exposed game after game. I mean, the flip side of that is they've, they're only the third side ever to be relegated that scored over 50 goals in the in the Premier League. They scored 51. Goal scoring was never the problem. It was keeping it out of the other net that's uh, been proven to be their, uh, their uh, downfall this season. And, uh, I don't think you can like pick out individuals, but certainly the way the team was set up uh, defensively, they, they, they were very frail and very open and there was a massive gaps between the back line, the midfield and the, and the strikers and you need to be a bit more compact in the Premier League. And this is what I mean about 
bit of complacency. They thought they were the, this cavalier side that could go and play and score goals. Great, but you've got to defend. That's the basis. That's the foundation. Uh, and they lost that. They lost that. Um, they couldn't see that in the end. You know the way you said um, relegation wasn't really part of the, the club's thinking. Uh, we are, are, do, are we to assume that there are relegation clauses in the contracts of the players who are at least under contract that they will be able to, you know, that they did plan properly for those things to happen? Yes, there will be relegation clauses in most of those contracts because they protect the club and the player. Obviously, the players that don't want to play in the championship, there will be figures in there that will be triggered by other clubs if they want to come in for them. Likewise, if those players move on, it protects the club because they can't be taking huge wage bills into the championship because the FFP constraints are even tighter in the championship. So there will be, and there'll be, um, there'll be other clauses as well, pay cuts for certain players as well. But the, the real big wage earners, they'll, they'll try and uh, get off the books now. And I think there'll be a lot of interest in some of Leicester's players as well from other clubs as well, because individually, you know, they are, there are some talented players in that squad. It is a squad that shouldn't have been in this position. Um, you know, this is a squad that's uh, finished in the top 10 for the last five years, uh, two fifth place finishes, nearly qualified for Champions League last year. I was uh, returning from a, a European semi-final in Rome at the Stadio Olimpico. And now, you know, they, there's the real prospect of going to uh, Plymouth and, and all these cl- clubs that we thought years ago um, we wouldn't see again for a while. But um, no, we're going back to the Championship. What was the atmosphere atmosphere like uh, among the match-going fans, Rob, in the King Park? You, you looked at the, the scenes at Ellen Road and certainly there was a toxic atmosphere there, probably because of the performance and results, uh, especially on the last day. But... Leicester got, got the job done on the final day and, and did what they had to do in getting the win over West Ham. We did see some scenes of some fisticuffs between some Leicester fan, or Leicester fans in the crowd um, at different yeah, points. Yeah. Like, but was it a, was it a hostile atmosphere? Was it just accepting? No, no, it wasn't hostile. It was very mixed. It was very strange, in fact. Um, the atmosphere is the best I've experienced in the King Power for a long time, up until news filtered through that Everton had scored. Um, uh, even Valtfars, um second goal, there was celebrations for that. But towards the end, when everybody sort of realised that there was going to be no comeback from Bournemouth to save them, there was a strange m- muted atmosphere. There were, were a, a little fisticuffs in the corner of the of the West Stand between a, a little a little group of fans. But at the at the final whistle, there was um, boos and applause. There was a mix. In the far corner by where the, the hardcore Union FS lads, um, they held up a banner and they were chanting for John Rook in the direction of football to be sacked. They still want um, some recrimination and uh, uh, they still want to smell some blood in the hierarchy of the club. But I think a lot of people were just resigned to, to, to relegation and stoically were talking about getting straight back out. Um, so it's a real mix. It was a real mix. It wasn't quite as toxic as Leeds. So in terms of um, coming straight back up, let's assume that a new manager comes in. Uh, the parachute payments give you that one season where you have a big opportunity. Some of those players, there'll be a market for, but not a huge market, and maybe they decide to keep them. Is somebody like Vardy, who might score a hat full of goals in his last season uh, in the championship, is he going to stick around? Or like his, his wages are big, so... Um, yeah, his wages are big. He's the highest earner at the club. He's still got a year left on his contract. Uh, we will wait and see what Vardy plans to do. I, I know that he's been very committed to Leicester down the years. You know, he, he he's wanted a legacy. He he wanted to. I mean, that's why he turned down Arsenal in 2016 to stay at Leicester and build this legacy. And he felt a sense of loyalty to the club because they took a chance on him when nobody else would from non-league. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw Jamie Vardy 
uh, leading the line in the championship next season for Leicester and trying to get them back and, and then perhaps hanging up his boots at the end if, if he achieves that. So um, I wouldn't be surprised, but I think he'll probably have to take a massive pay cut. So Vardy stays. Madison, he's gone, is he? He'll, he'll be sold. Yeah, even if they'd stayed up, he would have been sold. He's their asset. Uh, they have to get back to that model of selling an asset and, and reinvesting it. So, And there are takers for James Madison. He's a talent. He's just got into the England squad. So that he would have gone regardless. Um, now they've been relegated. Harvey Barnes is probably the other asset that they will sell off as well and try and reinvest that because this squad needs a huge amount of, of investment now. I mean, there's so many players leaving. There's seven out of contracts. There's another eight going into the final year of their contracts, including Madison and Vardy. So um, a lot of work needs to be done over the summer to get them ready. And, of course, the championship season starts early on the 5th of August. So uh, they haven't got much time. Got, they can't hang about if they're going to get a team out for that opening day. It- and, and before that, bizarrely, they're going off to Singapore and Bangkok to play Tottenham and Liverpool in a Premier League pre-season event. I mean, that's how much people uh, didn't expect them to be in the championship. It was funny watching the, the, the players parading around the pitch after the match, Rob, and I was reading some Leicester City fan forums last night and, and, and a lot of them talking about the, the players not playing for the badge this season, players being treated like superstars at this new training ground. Like, Is there, is there an element of that and, and, and an element of, I guess, distaste towards some of the players from some elements of the fan group as well? Yeah, I mean, you've also always got to be a little bit careful with fans' forums because people go on there to <laughs> vent. Uh, but um, y- yes, there is an element that they they have too cosy a life at Seagrave. I mean, I, I've written in my articles one about in the Athletic about the um, the change of atmosphere around the club when they move from their old training ground at Beaver Drive to Seagrave. Seagrave is just incredible. Um, they spent 100 million pounds on it. It's got everything there that they could possibly want. The, the mantra is that there can be no excuses. You know, they've got everything they need to succeed. Uh, but there was an element of the fact that they were getting a little bit um, spoilt and there was efforts taken to stop the players from being spoiled. Like Brendan Rogers uh, removed table service in the club restaurant. They had to take their plates back up themselves and things like that. But at the old training ground, they all used to eat together. The, the youth team, under the 23s, the staff, the office staff, they would all congregate in the in the little canteen they had there at various times. There would be club ambassador Alan Birchnell taking the mickey out of the players. There'd be banter flying everywhere. There was a family feel, a connection, camaraderie. They were all in it together. Down at Seagrave, the, the first team players uh, sat at one half of the, the restaurant, uh, away from everybody else, and the under twenty threes, under eighteens, and the rest were in the other part of the restaurant. There was a disconnect, and I think that doesn't help when you want uh, camaraderie, especially in a relegation battle. Rob, great stuff. We leave it there. Thanks a million. Thank you, guys. It's Rob Tanner there from The Athletic talking about Leicester and their relegation and how quickly they might or uh, be back up or otherwise. Uh, some of your comments on the rugby. Loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads. Uh, Peter Manny would have been the most important person for Leinster, says Tom F1 in Dublin 1. Congrats to Munster. Uh, Ross Byrne is a good player. He needs out from under Sexton's shadow, says Kieran O'Connor. He's had a whole season of it. I mean, did, did Sexton play 8 or 15 minutes uh, this year in the Champions Cup? Uh, yeah, Jemison Gibson Park was the one going wide when Byrne was getting in the pocket as Pascal Jacob. Um, can we now accept Crowley is the Sexton replacement and not Byrne? Uh, Barbalazza 83. I was at the game. Amazing atmosphere, to be fair to the Stormers fans. Pitch was awful. Stormers fans, very gracious in defeat. Bringing South African teams into the competition was a masterstroke. Yeah, uh, uh, remember we had the crap South African teams and now we have the good ones and the difference that makes. Um, as I said, though, it's important that once they were able to go down there and duff them up because... If it had been the other way around, it would have been like, oh, 
Yeah, it isn't great, is it? On the uh, on the Byrne and Crowley stuff, is 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 this all a bit reactionary? Like Ross Byrne, you know, Leinster lose a couple of games. Um, you know, if Ross Byrne had kicked a, a drop goal to win the Champions Cup last week, we'd all be singing his praises. Like, oh, he's yeah, my granny had balls. He'd be my granddad. Well, of course, I know ifs and buts, but like, should we just be saying, oh yeah, it's Crowley's in there, number t- as number two, hundred percent behind Sexton. I think um, the most recent evidence we have is that. Uh, Crowley kicked a drop goal into the same goals in uh, Lansdowne Road and then the following week played his best game in a final that's the bit that's like so look I think that more than likely uh, they're going to give Ross Byrne an opportunity because he's slightly ahead in, in their pecking order yeah so but we, we also don't know the decision making behind that Leinster decision not to drop goal like you know you, you can blame Ross Byrne for it but well, it's, what's someone else's call it's a uh, uh, that whole um, uh, success as many fathers failure dies an orphan like it's clearly a systems failure yeah um, they thought they were going to be able to score the try he kind of wanders back a little bit but isn't forceful enough either to demand and doesn't you know like it, it's all it's in the maelstrom of the chaos of that moment mm. and they haven't been programmed to do it um, uh, Joe tweeted the link to Squid Rugby yeah. in his analysis of it. I don't know if you've seen the video of it, but it was a 2017 was the last time that Ross Bernard had to kick a right. last minute drop goal and he'd done it. So that's a long time, you know? Um, and maybe they just add a little wrinkle into practice where they start doing it a bit more. And maybe for Ireland it happens a bit more too. It's uh, 8.47. Uh, Cahal is with us. Good morning to Cahal. How are you lads? How's it going? Uh, you're one of the few, few, few people who know what happened uh, in Wexford Park at the weekend. Yeah, I was very fortunate to be there. Um, what a game. What a game, uh, had absolutely everything and I think Wexford deserve an enormous amount of credit because they started really badly, conceded two early goals and they were playing with a really strong breeze and I thought Lee Chin actually stood up uh, for Wexford yesterday, he's been their leader for a long number of years now and yesterday he really came to the fore when they needed him. They got a point ahead at half time, then they nudged in front, they were uh, they got to 4.13 to 2.13 uh, Kenny managed to nudge in front then going into the last 10 minutes and you're thinking into that strong breeze can, can Wexford sustain this and get themselves back into the lead and they managed to do it um, and all of this was happening obviously with, with Antrim doing really well in Mullingar so it was a really fraught kind of atmosphere uh, for what was it like? supporters was yeah, it, it was, was it quiet or was it like absolutely fever? It was. I thought it was quite feverish. We were over on the the terrace side, and that was you know virtually full. Uh, there was some space in the stand on the far side, but there was a real big game feel to it from early morning. You, the, you know the traffic cones out on the road and the old uh, place. starting the game ten minutes late. You know, I mean, it was mildly beneficial to know what was going on. Yeah, I think um, they definitely knew. <coughs> Westmead had nudged in front at one point in that game, but but generally speaking, all the way through, I think Antrim kind of held the upper hand, but. It's such a, a a difficult one for teams that are involved in that situation where you know you're really on the edge of a cliff, particularly in Wexford's point of view, where you know it was a huge possibility yesterday that they were going to be relegated, which would have been a, a huge story, and you know potential ramifications not just for this generation of Wexford hurlers, but Wexford hurlers in future generations as well, uh, for the county to be playing in the Joe McDonough when they've only you know four years ago they won the the Leinster Championship came within a whisker of reaching the All-Ireland Final. Um, so they deserve an enormous amount of credit and I think Darry Egan and, and his management team obviously managed things really well during the week as well. Was it the Wexford game where there was an 18-minute half-time period? It was kind of touched on in 
Yes, I think there was a, it was a lengthy enough half time, all right. Yeah. Um, a lot of people on the field and stuff like that. And then the throw in was delayed, as Jerry says, as well, with uh, the crowd coming in before throw in. So uh, it was on a little bit later than the other games that threw in at two o'clock. Um, but yeah, really brilliant championship occasion. And then afterwards, it was strange because, you know, obviously there's the initial elation and relief of of getting the result but then the realisation well we probably shouldn't have been in this position anyway um, for them and the fact that they have nothing else now to, to play for their season is, is finished and they can look ahead to, to next year um, Are the hurling managers the thinnest skinned group of uh, high profile individuals in sport almost every single one of them was complaining about something that somebody else had said about them in the press over the weekend <laughs> mm. Well I think as a manager, you're probably always looking for some sort of an edge, aren't you? You're not supposed that to believe can, it. That you can find somewhere. probably don't believe it, though. Well, uh, they all seem to be very sensitive about, like, something that was said months and months and months and months and months back. Who, no? are, you, who are you talking about specifically here? Well, Davey was sensitive, right? He had to listen to a lot of bullshit being spoken about him. I'm misquoting him there, but that was the, the theme of it. Um, did Dara Egan talk about stuff? Yeah, well, they, they they obviously took a lot of flack uh, Wexford after last week's result. I mean, in fairness, you gave up a seventeen point lead. Are people supposed to go? You're amazing. And he did admit that, and he admitted like, it as much. Know, I think he took the blame after. as well, Dara Egan after match, didn't he? For the Westmead result, like he kind of accepted that he. I think all the the oh, Wexford crew did accept that they really uh, took the right off the ball in that second half against Westmead, and um, you know what a difference seven days makes. I mean, Wexford Park yesterday was unrecognisable compared to four twenty three against Kilkenny. Like, yeah, was yeah. Liam Cal talking about something that had been said about the team? Oh, emotional baggage uh, that the Waterford team had emotional baggage. I think maybe Davey might have referenced that. He was like, there was no emotional baggage. So what, what, what are you talking about? That's like, it was like, so they're all watching. They're all listening to, mm. you know, and uh, Limerick were afterwards saying, oh, we were being written off during the week. As far as I can remember, almost every conversation started with, well, you're not writing Limerick off. Like literally the opposite of, uh, of that. So I don't know. For, for big manly men, they're all a little bit sensitive sometimes. They're all a little bit wallflowery, aren't they? That's just egos, isn't it? They're all, they all have egos. A lot of them played to a, high, to a high level as well, so they still have egos. Uh, and I think that comes in when they, when they hear someone else talking about their team. I do like a little bit of spice. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're feuding brothers, right? They're all, they're all hurling people. Very quickly, anything else? Well, plenty else uh, going on in the football yesterday with Scalman and Dublin playing out a 111 to 14 points draw at Crow Park. Uh, you've chatted through the Premier League. Porrick Harrington missed out on a major title last night in a playoff. He lost to Steve Stricker at the Senior PGA Championship. Both of those players finishing on 18 under par. And Leona Maguire lost in the semi finals at the LPGA match play. And there's racing today at Ballon Robe. First off, there at half past four. All right, Carl, good stuff. Thanks a million for that. Thanks, a reminder OTVAM live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. Sarah Donovan joins us to look back at the weekend's hurling. Sarah, good morning to you. How are you? I'm absolutely heartbroken. I am. I'm absolutely heartbroken. We actually stopped in Ballylanders last night on the way home. Limerick country now to, to kind of drown our sorrows and watch the Sunday game. And we were treated to a rousing rendition of Horse Outside, which cheered us up a small bit. <laughs> so kudos to the Limerick lads for uh, giving us that. Well, yeah. very good. Uh, I haven't seen them do that on the terraces yet. That, maybe <laughs> they should. I was going to say. <laughs> it was, look, I, I suppose yesterday, last week we talked about the Munster final and this being a Munster final for Cork and they gave it absolutely everything their best performance of the year scored 130 and it still wasn't enough yeah um, I don't know look we'll have one one sentence about this but is is the system fair that they're out now and that like we have Joe McDonough teams and the Dubs in and Cork are gone I think when they look back they 
won one game. You know, they had four chances uh, yesterday. They did very little wrong, but crucially, it was their retention of the puck outs, their sideline cuts, the retention of the freeze. That's a work on for Cork for 2024. I think we can say that we're disappointed. We are, but the system is there and three three teams got out <laughs> of the system and Cork didn't, you know. We, we we can't, I suppose, keep pushing the blame somewhere else. We had three chances. We didn't take them. OK, let, let's talk about Limerick before we get into um, Cork because mm. uh, they're now in a Munster final, which, you know, I think we all predicted at the start of the championship uh, Limerick would be in the Munster final. We just didn't think they'd be squeaking through by the skin of their teeth. Um, but there's... Uh, it, the the uh, weather was good. It was all sunny. It's definitely summertime. And all of a sudden, Limerick looked like um, they're close to being Limerick again. Yeah, there was flashes of that in the game. Um, I think Cork put a lot into the game and Limerick matched it. Like they've matched tip, you know, like every game this season, they've been, they've pressure applied and they found a way. Um, interestingly, obviously, Keen Lynch didn't come on till late. So Cahill O'Neill was given that big um, spot centre forward to work with and, you know, got a great goal in the first half. My sense, though, with Limerick is that they're they're actually not as strong from the bench as they have been in previous years. So there is there is potential. There's hope for other teams. They can be caught. It feels open, I think, at the moment, as yeah. opposed to at the start of the year, where it felt like how how close will anybody get to Limerick is kind of what we're looking for. Which that's not the case. Like Limerick could be beaten by uh, any of the uh, teams who've come out of uh, Munster on a day in Croke Park. And they could also be beaten, you think, by Galway, Galway performed the way they did in the second half against the Dubs. And like Kilkenny, I think we just have to write off the performance against uh, Wexford. Wexford. Well, look, they scored five goals against Wexford. I, like The games yesterday were bananas. But interestingly, after the game, Henry Shefflin said, after the Dubs game, he said, look, we had no contests in Westmead and Antrim. We came flat into this game. I'm misquoting him, but that's the essence of what he said. And I'd said to you guys last week, if Limerick were to come through as third place winners, they'd have met a Kilkenny or a Galway when they were only tepid and it would have been a great time to meet them. So the warning signs are there for all teams. You know, unless you're going at full tilt, you can be caught. Is discipline an issue? I think we've discussed discipline with Limerick uh, already this season, Sarah, but um, I think half the outfield defence had been in, been yellow carded by James Owens in the first half and a couple of Patrick Horgan frees that just came from, again, in discipline and giving away stupid frees. So is that a potential problem going forward for them, do you think? They had to clean it up. I, look, I, I think that's the Kyle Hayes, um, I suppose, free on Dara Fitz in the first half. There was more to that. You know, he potentially could have got a, a red card for that because of, I suppose, how aggressive he was going into it and he did strike the player. So he was probably lucky to to just get a yellow. Um, outside of that, there was a bit of fooling on the square with Aaron Gillan and uh, Sean O'Donoghue. And to me, it looks like you know, Aaron Glan was holding Sean as much as as Sean was trying to defend the the square, and they get a penalty out of it. Dermot Burns buries it, and all of a sudden, Limerick are in the ascendancy. I think for Aaron Glan, unfortunately, referees will be wise to it now for the next two or three games, and he probably won't get the same um, softness or or soundness from referees because they'll have seen what he's at, which is holding the early. That battle between Glan and O'Donoghue was pretty impressive to watch. Oh, it was class. But you know what, Glan. We we said at the start of the season, Limerick weren't ticking without him. And I firmly believe if 
if Kylie hadn't brought him back in um, after Christmas, uh, Limerick wouldn't be remotely near where they are now. He is he is ticking every box for Limerick and some of the scores he got yesterday, uh, he just tips out for the ball. It's, it's effortless. It was a really brilliant contest and there were, in fairness, there were chances at both ends and I understand, I understand how people will be upset with the penalty. Uh, it feels like it's a massive swing. Before Limerick at their first goal, uh, Galan actually hits the post with a kicked shot, which, yeah. been, you know, uh, channeling his inner Nicky English from like the late <laughs> 80s, early 90s. Um, and it looked that was like, all the soccer training there before Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Do you remember? Was, that's what he was doing, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> Cork's inability to retain possession coming out of it actually gives Limerick the first goal after they've just... So they had that kind of, ooh, oh, that was a big chance for Limerick and it hits the post and oh, that's great. But then a minute later, it balls in the back of the net and you're like, ooh, that could be... But they come back from it. That's the thing. Like, So flaky Cork are not flaky anymore. No, but look, I, I suppose for me and look, you know, I had a great I had a great seat. I was in the open stand. I caught a lot of sun yesterday and uh, the it's uncomfortable watching Cork play out from the back. Um they need to move the ball more quickly and they got caught in possession yesterday and they'll hate that. Like it's, it's there for all to see. He needed to move the ball away quicker earlier and William O'Donoghue turns him over, you know? So from that and then from the puck outs as well, you know, I know Nash has spoken to you previously on the Friday about the chain. You know, it's not just about the keeper. It's about the other players who are t- moving into line and moving into space. That broke down a lot for Cork yesterday. Um, Cork will look back and say, God, there was crucial moments where where we made tiny mistakes and they were punished so badly, whereas Limerick seemed to be able to recover more quickly. It was the the, the performance from Cork as well. I think you, you, you described it as the, the, the best in the championship so far, ironically, that they saved the best to last and yet it just wasn't enough. But from a Cork perspective, albeit there'll be a bit of a post-mortem here, Sarah, but there's so many positives for them. Yesterday, like that first 20 minutes for Cork... 11 shots, 11 scores, breathtaking stuff. And I suppose for the first time in a long time, they were actually matching Limerick physically. So Limerick were coming out from the back and Cork were taking them on. There was a great turnover with Dara Fitz and I, and, or Rob Downey and he gives the ball out to Tim O'Mahony and Tim O'Mahony gets a sweet score. There's another one, Rob Downey shifts out to the sideline, gives a class pass to Luke Mead and Luke Mead's there all on his own in space, gets a great score. So many like stunning scores from Cork yesterday and so accurate um, and to score 130 and then you've got the under 20s coming up behind them um, that under 20s team has r- some real quality in it and I suppose for Pat Ryan now next year it's about bringing up a couple of players like you've seen Adam Hogan into the Clare setup out of leaving cert and making a massive impact I think Cork probably have to do that with a couple of younger players and yesterday for me as well if you looked at the Cork bench it was all forwards there was I think three uh, defensive options so Cork need to find backs because their defensive unit works so hard if one of the lads yesterday had had to go off injured Cork were in trouble um, OK so Cork are gone it's heartbreaking uh, Tipperary after I, I mean again one of the most outlandish performances that we've seen they, they all all they had to do was like not lose by five and they couldn't even manage that in the end where they're like mounting a, a comeback it's like they just know that but they couldn't even do that so I don't know how they respond they'd made changes obviously there there were players injured who might be back by the time that 
uh, the big games come back for them, but. So they're heading to Offaly, like that's 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 their next game. They're heading to Tullamore. I, I was uh, talking to a tip man last night and he was unsure whether he was going to go to Offaly to see the match. He was so disgusted after the final whistle yesterday. But crucially for them, look, Jason Ford, Jake Morris, Carl Barrett, you know, three fulcrum players that come back into that tip set up. And I suppose when we were watching the, the match back on the Sunday game last night, you know, Desi Hutchinson's goal is fortuitous and, and Tip had been pushing, pushing, pushing to that point. And, you know, Hutchin, Hutchinson punishes uh, kind of, I suppose, a bit of confusion with, with Reese Shelley. And Tip, again, get get murdered for, for the smallest mistakes. Do I think Tip are going to improve from here? Absolutely. I think it's probably the wake-up call that they needed. So you don't take anything from... Any conclusions drawn from how Waterford set up against them for other teams set up against Tip? It's just, this is an aberration. It's a thing of itself. And there'll be a different, after they get over the Offaly game, which we assume they will, um, they'll be grand. Look, last week they hurled a world ball against Limerick and they had to come out seven days later and find something, you know, uh, against Waterford. And like it or not, there was lots of history between Waterford and Liam Cahill. And there's obviously going to be a massive, I suppose, drive there to show him that he walked away from that team and, and what he walked away from. And the best way that you can show that to an old manager is, is, is to beat him, yeah. you know, and soundly soundly beat him. And, you know, Cahill was, was very straightforward about that. And, and you were chatting beforehand about him speaking about the emotional baggage. Uh, Davy Fitz had quoted, basically said, they're emotionally damaged, you know, from, from last season. And that obviously hurt Cal, right? And that's, you know, he's he's speaking about that. But there's no question that that Waterford team yesterday went out to show Cal what he's given up so, because I think they're surprised that he walked away. So does it give Davy another year, do you think? Unfortunately, yes. Right, so you're not you're not a Davy fan, but from a Waterford no. perspective, like that performance, if they were if they performed like that, and like to Davy to to, to Davy's point, like they should have beaten Limerick in the first game, and if they'd done that, they'd be going through. Do you know, like well, well, we spoke about Jar, we spoke in the league about how crazy the systems he was doing were trying to play. You know, he he was launching play, forty players into the forward line to on a puck out. He has the players, he has the quality, and he couldn't go route one, but he just doesn't seem to want to go route one. To, that's to, that's the frustration there. To his credit, on on Billy Nolan particularly, you know, going to the sweeper centre back role, that's a, an ingenious enough move in hindsight. But does that maybe come from the back room? Is that where I'm leaning towards this? Yeah, look, I I, I suppose the, the the press box is a great place to get to get info, and uh, a lot of lads in the press box yesterday knew that Peter Greeley, who's in the backroom team with with Davy, is actually from Rowan Moore, and uh, Billy Nolan played centre back for Rowan Moore in 2021 in the county final, and he's actually played centre-back for Waterford as well in the fifth. So not the most shocking of places, you know, to find him. And I suppose, you know, we've said previously, Owen Murphy's played outfield for Kilkenny. Nicky Quaid's played outfield for Limerick in, in times past. Look, you know, it's, it's no more when we see the footballers outfield as well. Um, I think it was a great move from Waterford yesterday. It was completely unexpected. And we were saying that Tyke de Burke's role was very hard to fill. And I suppose Kilm Lyons and Jack Fagan are different <coughs> kinds of players and it doesn't suit them to play that role. So to be able to bring Billy Nolan in was a masterstroke, whose ever idea it was. Um, I, we should talk briefly about Wexford and the, the situation there. Like, I, I did feel a lot of sympathy. We see what Wexford are capable of when players are fit and they have the majority of their best players available for them, but they just don't have the strength and depth. 
So I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being too soft on them, and actually, they should be getting savaged for what's gone on this year when they are. They do have many players in the prime of their career, and so whatever you need to do to make sure that they're going to be fit for championship, that's the job of the the management team. So I don't know where you, you fall down on on this, but um, there was a lot on the line for Wexford yesterday, and they didn't back down from it. To be able to go to Kilkenny and get a result like that, especially with the start that Kilkenny got, Kilkenny were eight points up. Uh, Owen Cody was having a field day, um, and then to be able to turn it around and, and you know and come back up seven points up in the second half like magnificent stuff from Wexford and actually Lee Chin had a grade 2 AC tear uh, in the last two weeks so he isn't even fully fit and he puts in that performance but I suppose crucially Darry Egan mentions you know the Wexford support despite last week and despite how horrendous it was Wexford you know filled the stadium massive support for the team yeah. and the, the players stood up but like there's so much quality in that Wexford team you say Lads, you can't go to Dublin and and shoot nineteen wides. You, you know you can't lose a seventeen point lead against Westmead. You know psychologically, you have to be able to play for seventy minutes to give yourselves a chance. And and they weren't, so they deserve to take. I suppose it on the chain now and say, what are we going to do? But look, that Wexford under twenty team that's coming up behind that group has been in two Leinster finals. There is quality there, and it was crucial that they didn't go into the Joe McDonough because you have to blend these two teams and they have to stay at yeah. the top tier. I do think that the fans arriving late to Wexford Park was actually a great thing for them to put the game <laughs> back 10 minutes. Do you know? So they've got to take... They were, you know, when it turns out when they're unified, they can, uh, they can do great things. We'll leave it there for now. Good stuff, Sarah. Thanks a million. Thanks, lads. Sorry for and your trouble. Here. Yeah. Well, you know the you know the performance rankings and putting us in the red. Yeah. Did you need to do that? Ah, look. I mean, not, not my call. Let me just wash my hands. Yeah. That. You give. Sorry. Hang on a second. This is Don Logue and his uh, goblet of minor prestige or whatever. Like they're now also runs. Like that. Also, also running this year. I don't. I don't think it's fair. I actually think that there should be. Some, I'm quite shocked. Some, I'm quite shocked. You score one thirty. Like these card. performance rackings are cat. Cat. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, lads. I'm giving it up this morning. And the summer's over, by the way. Don't the kids shouldn't even finish school. It's they not, should go right through to September. Not even June. <sighs> Feedback's always Monday. welcome. Feedback's always welcome, Sarah, on the performance <laughs> rankings. We appreciate that. Well, you've disappointed me so much this morning. I'm going back to Bally Landers. I'd say they're still there singing. I'd yeah. say they are. Uh, <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Thanks a million. Sarah Donovan gives us her thoughts there. Anthony Moyes is standing by. We're going to get to him in a moment. You're listening to OTB AM. Ten minutes past nine. Anthony Moyes is with us. Anthony, good morning to you. How are you? I'm great, Chair. Yeah. Sun is shining. I've had a few, you know, very competitive uh, underage fixtures to attend to over the weekend. The gulags so was, of South Mead. Yes. I was tearing into it. Yeah. A lot of, <laughs> a little nanny of common etches out there. <laughs> Plenty of them. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, listen, some, some won, some lost, but the people who lost, they'll hear about it this week. You Good, know, they'll yeah. feel it. They'll that, feel it in that's training. That's exactly this how week. it should be. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There you go. <laughs> do, you, do you want to talk about this? Do you have strong feelings about this or have we moved do on? We, I, it's probably kicked to death at this stage. It is might, it? is a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think both arguments are. I, I am absolutely 100% in agreement. You need the participation. You need all that. Absolutely. And it was probably uh, woe on me in the fact of I actually didn't think it went up to under 12. Um, so there's loads of arguments for and against, but I think both can coexist. Apology accepted. Opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. He's a waiting for this moment. Like, oh, look at this. Sorry, hang on. What, yeah. What, what? yeah, yeah. No, I'm not, I, I like. This is the thing. You only discovered this actually when you discovered it for yourself because you don't care about it until you care about it and it's all that's yeah. on. So, like, the, f- the fact that Go Games pre-exists and is the rule up to under 12 
I think, was news to people. I'd say it was, yeah, absolutely. And I think that was the big... Uh, sorry, I knew, of course, like, I mean, I've, I've, a, I've an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, so the eight-year-old has been playing for the last few years out of nursery. Um, and... Yes, there is the thing, of course, of the children know whether they won or lost. She was playing on Saturday. They got their <laughs> handed to them, you know, and you could see the disappointment and how kind of the, the energy was draining from them in the game. And it is difficult, you know, even the silent sidelines. I, f- I find it difficult. I have to kind of walk away for a while. And all you want to do is encourage, but then, uh, you know, roaring and shouting. And even if you're encouraging players... You know, it, it, there's there's so many facets of this, mm. you know, and then people will also say, like, well, what about the competitive kids? And you can understand that, like in, in gymnastics or in music or in different things, the person who practices the most generally gets better and therefore is rewarded for that. You know, you don't put little Jimmy who hasn't touched the harmonica or the piano in six months straight up to the top of the musical set when no. you want to do the recital. Is, so, little, is little Jimmy more likely to practice the harmonica if a grown adult is screaming at them on the island? 100%. You know. No, and, and you know what? I honestly think, and this is a very difficult thing for the G8 police. I, I get that. And it is very difficult because it's even difficult to have the conversation. You know, you're the under-12s manager and you are a little bit overzealous. Yeah. I am the mm. juvenile secretary and I have to pull you away. Yeah. Say in a small club, small you're, town. You're, you're a volunteer. You're a volunteer and I'm saying to you, listen, Jerry, you know, you need to calm it down a bit. And you're saying, what, what do you mean? Yeah. You know, th- th- well, I'm only shouting to my child. Yeah, this is the way I am. You know, it's, yeah. it's okay. And then all of a sudden, well, sure, I'll pull Johnny off the team then. And Johnny goes off to the next club. So, th- so there's loads of, it is, it's nuanced. It's very tricky, but you would hope that adults could be adults here, uh, right? Cop themselves on, actually just behave the yeah. way they should behave. And we've seen loads of it, by the way, because you then think of, well, if it's only to 12, should it not be 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18? In other words, you know, can the, can the overzealous adults kind of sit there to under 12, but then they get an under 14, they're like, now, right, I can go bananas now. It's my time. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's my time to shine. Yeah, and you see a lot of that, you right? Do. And you see those things, and it's disgusting on the pitch. It absolutely is. Like, when you see that stuff going on between parents and players getting involved... Young lads are younger. Like I mean, especially you know who 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 at fourteen think they're eighteen. Do you know yeah. what I mean? They think they're small men. But that's the one disadvantage of the silent sidelines is that I, I you know when you when you hear parents or or whatever family encouraging you from the sidelines as at 11, 10, 11, 12, I know from my experience you got a kick from that. You did. You know. You did. Obviously, Absolutely. you don't want you don't want the other yeah. f- element of it and fa- parents who are r- remarkably. Um, backward and screaming at their kids so I don't know where, how you police was, it but I was walking past a soccer match uh, the other day and uh, I don't know what age it was between 8s and 10s and the kid was taking a corner and was taking too long over the corner and this is the this was it happened to be the opposition I don't know who they were playing and uh, it was like pass him what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, oh my god, oh my god. But this, but you know, so so I think there's a cultural thing in in. So I used to play a bit of soccer when I was younger as well, and there's definitely a cultural thing. I think, um, you know, I was talking to people who obviously do rugby, and there's the whole three pass rule. I think at a certain age, you know, that you have to pass it three times. Mm. You know, so in other words, the big trust. lad can't just bust his way through everyone and just you know yeah. get a, get a try. So there's all those. So there's the, so there's the small things within the game, and then there's then there's the wider, big, big question, which is the cultural thing of the soccer thing of answering the referee back, abusing the referee, having no respect for the referee. Slash, and then you switch to the rugby, which is all sir, yes, sir, 
absolutely yeah, they won't do that all this stuff so so I have seen similar GA I just saw the oh, oh sorry sorry I'm not saying just exactly, soccer yeah. absolutely sorry loads in the GA and and the GA is most definitely getting involved in it too and and that's what I'm saying so you know you go back to the gymnastics or the the badminton or the tennis or whatever even even basketball does the does the referee in basketball get abuse I don't like my wife is heavily involved in basketball. I don't hear it. They do yeah. blitzes all the time. They have yeah, MVPs, often. you know. So the little girl get, or the boy gets the MVP. They may not be the best player. Yeah. They may actually be saying, you know what, you're the best trainer, yeah. and you're coming every week. And there's different ways to reward them. There are all there those are. different things, yeah. you know. And it, I think the whole point about the stuff that came to them from the GA last week is like it's it's engineering on a grand scale, and then it's down to the individual clubs Big to try time. and have a culture that actually everybody. Because the whole point is, you don't have a clue that the the under eight who's not that interested. Is actually going to not turn out to be the best player in the club or to turn out to be the company secretary or the person who marks the pitches and all of these 100%. are actually it turns out just as valuable as each other 100% let's talk about um, yeah. the games of the weekend um, got away with that one not I bad had, not bad I, I had the dubs number one in my power rankings when, uh, with Tommy a few weeks ago but I'm not so sure I'm, I'm yeah Jesus the power rankings it, this is like you know it's like, myself now. Yeah, it's like the Eurovision uh, it's up and down and uh, like it, it's at the weekend uh I'd say a lot of Dublin supporters, I'd say Desi Farrell, I'd say even some of the Dublin players are scratching their heads saying, wow, where are we here? So I don't know if it was a set-up thing. Um, they were obviously wary of Roscommon, right? They were wary of Burke and his innate ability to pick holes in your setup. Okay, and I think he really does have that. Okay, so he showed Mayo up, who, who, who has uh, on last week's evidence, you're kind of going, Jesus, mm. Mayo are right up there. Is this the year where they could do it? And he made them look pedestrian, and he's, he kind of showed them up for all the frailties that they have, which they have gone about to try to change now. And I think it's a, it's a brilliant look, it is a fantastic. Uh, um, system now in that teams can learn so much about the opposition yeah. so quickly uh, and they're able to say so what what Roscommon did was they said okay what we're not going to do we're not going to do what Loud did we're not going to make this a shootout we're not going to abandon players and attack you at pace you turn us over and then hit us on the counter attack when we get the ball we'll control the ball we'll control the ball and we'll move in pods mm. up the pitch and get booed it was great yeah like, and we it. leave two guys inside because they have a great balance to their team they've got their workers They've got their midfielders, they've got their defence well set, but then they have forwards who can score. And four or five forwards who can score. They've the Murtis, they've the Smith, they've the lads who can take points. A bench now as well. Correct, they've a bench and they've a lovely balance, as I say. So so they never, I don't think they probably had a shot on goal. Mm. I must reach out, but I can't remember Clucks and make. So in other words, they were quite happy to say, no, no, we'll, we, you want to you do that there? Well, we'll shoot from outside. Yeah. We'll work our little angles. We'll get Murtis onto the ball. We'll run at you, we'll try to pick up a few frees and we'll kick points. Um, and then what we'll do is we'll try to frustrate you to the far end. Which they did for large parts of the game. Does Roscommon score towards the end of the first half? Uh, I don't know how long the possession period was, but... Four and a half minutes, I think. Was it was ridiculous. Timeless. Yeah. Like, but that, that sort of thing, I, I hate that word, blueprint of how to beat the dubs, but like, well, keep the ball. Let's just have a quick look at the Dublin against uh, Derry scored four goals, but eight points. Yeah. Against Kildare, we said was one eleven. Mm. Yeah, now it's one eleven again. There yesterday, this is not the all singing, all dancing forward line. It's not a team we're going to score eighteen or nineteen points in the game. Now, remember the magic number that Andy Moore and I was had in his head was well, I can't even remember was it eighteen or twenty. Mm. But you get to that, and you're going to you're going to go very close to beating yeah. Dubs and being all Ireland champions. Now it's like you score one fourteen or one fifteen against the Dubs. You score one twelve against the Dubs. Like you've, you're in those games, particularly if you're Galway, Tyrone, Monaghan. Derry, yeah. you know, yeah. like everybody's coming to Croke Park now thinking, 
we're going to be the ones to stop this. But I think it's as much on you as it is on them, if you get me. So when Andy Moran was talking about you have to score 118, I think it was of a time. Mayor right? Warren setting up to... Yeah, so it was, a, it was the shootout. Yeah. So in the shootout, I had to just get, get that little bit ahead of you. Whereas Ross Common came yesterday and said, we're not going to make this a shootout at all. And what we're going to see is, have you got better forwards than we have? Mm. Have you got a better? Have you got a better system? Have you got a better midfield? Have you got? And Dublin at the start, I think they fell into that trap. So they were kind of saying, "Okay, well, you can have the ball, and then when we get it back, we'll do our thing." Next thing, they find themselves nine five down or whatever it was, and they're kind of saying, "Well, actually, we're not really doing our thing here." So the second half, there was a there was a, a quite a significant up in pace and energy from them. Um, it was it, you know it was funny. You could see Mick Van Simons at one stage who was just like a man possessed at one stage. He got so aggravated, <laughs> he was running around just chasing Roscommon players, you know, like nearly breaking the blueprint because they were kind of they went very one on one. And the thing about going one on one, I can find Mark and Shane, and I am just concentrated on Shane, even if you spill the ball behind me you, you know I'm not conscious of yeah. that so you don't get to trap you don't get to put mm. two on one or three on one and you can see the start of the second half Dublin tried to bring them down the sideline more and tried to get them more and they got more success out of it now Roscommon showed great character to come back they did and equalise yeah. the game yeah. um, and Roscommon are a very serious outfit. We said it at the start this yeah, year. They are, they are horses for courses mm. team. They're playing you. And that's what I'm saying, Burke. You've also got, of course, Ryan McHugh on the sideline, who well knows about playing Dublin and what way to set up. So, you know, they, I think Roscommon are... I, I still genuinely... OK, if they lose one or two forwards... But again, injuries. James McCarthy doesn't look great coming off the side. Davy Byrne definitely that knee was massively heavily strapped, and it looks like he definitely damaged when when he got the little ankle breaker from Murta. Uh, he's in trouble, and again, it's going to be a war of attrition over these next five or six yeah. weeks. I spoke to someone yesterday who was, who was saying to me, "Oh, for the Dubs will come good. Still, they're peaking for the quarterfinals. Their fitness will get better over the next few weeks." But I, I, the more I see of them, the more I'm like, "But that I can't see that happening now." Like, if you're not peaking. If you're not peaking now in the first game of this group, st- group phase at the end of May, start of June, you're in a bit of bother. I think you're in a bit of bother. They, 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 they definitely could see you could see the, the, the deficiency when they don't have McCaffrey on the field. Yeah, yeah, he's you know, a total game changer. For he me. is because he, he's he's so direct. Um, now, um, they, sorry, they don't have a player like him. They just don't. That that is just one hundred percent. They do not have a guy who can do what he does. The similar ones are remarkable as opposed to him, who's unmarkable. Mm. Yes, place. he is. He is. And what he does is he causes that mayhem. So when and also he lifts the energy straight away. So within the team, he lifts the energy straight away. You know, you give him a ball, he just takes a man on and just goes past him. And next thing, oh, everyone everyone is on. So he is a big loss. I'd say, as we said the last day, that looked like a hamstring against Loud. He's obviously being minded, but the problem with that is it's a very tight window, um, and to take your point Shane like they're not they're not on top of the ground you know they're not a forward line they're not ripping teams apart they could have probably got one or two more goals um, in the end up because the second half was much better and they showed that real swashbuckling running at you style men off the shoulder um, and good hand passes but yeah um, there's question marks still there big time Uh, you you want to talk about Armagh being yeah, lucky. Like maybe that's exactly the game Marman needed to come back. You know, I know a lot of the, um, a lot, certainly a lot of the provincial winners looked uh, heavy in the mm. in the opening round of the group phase. Armagh looked the same. They just looked. Uh, there was something. Uh, There's a lot of hype about this Armagh team and, and how far they could or might go. But Westmead should have won that match. 
like it's only for the last few minutes and Turbot gets the goal whatever later on but like Armagh just showed very little mm. throughout I thought they were blessed I thought they were blessed um, you know Westmead were, you could see Westmead at the start were a little bit unsure of themselves and mm. then they kind of went you know what this this is actually here for us if we if we just kick on yeah. here um, and Armagh Armagh for me I've played in these games they might be in-house games or they might be challenge games uh, where things aren't going great mm. and you are literally a whisker away from being an, a row between yourselves on the pitch you know you could <laughs> see annoyance you could see frustration mm. fellas giving balls away having a go at each other and it was just kind of like oh this is getting this is getting fraught here um, now they pulled it together at the end um, oh, and they got the yeah. scores what they needed um, and to be fair to them they were they were staring down the barrel of the gun and they could have easily given up yeah. um, but they didn't um, and they are made of, of sterner stuff than that but I think he has a big issue in his forward line you know mm. I just think there's no real balance like Turbot again wasn't on comes on you got to get a fortuitous goal Mernon was started but you know there's a lot of chopping and changing going on Rian O'Neill I don't think although he's not really hitting the heights that yeah. and I don't I think they're still using them inside and pulling them outside there just seems to be we said this kind of earlier on the this analysis paralysis by analysis there is a bit of that going on where I still think they're trying to find that balance um, and they're questioning themselves a lot uh, and therefore, I think the players are questioning themselves a lot. Uh, and look, maybe what we're going to see is the teams who were heavy-legged, who mm. were the best teams in their provinces, actually get the benefit of this game now and be a bit... Um, Possibly. You know. Again, Westmead kind of followed that blueprint of, of keeping the ball for as long as they could for different points, and then you get the ball to Luke Lachlan or to John Heslin, and invariably they're going to put the ball over the bar. Yeah. So it's kind of, Especially when you're away from home, and Westmead had to go up the, to, to the athletic rounds, you keep the ball and then you work it into those forwards but you just don't see those forwards as you say in the Armagh team Mernon kicked a couple of lovely scores I have to say but they don't have those guys like Heslin or Lachlan who are consistent yeah yeah, and almost nobody has a Heslin is the thing he's, yeah. he's, and, and look that's the benefit of um, him having a season in the Sam Maguire's that everybody goes oh, this guy is actually mm. a generational talent yeah um, okay Monaghan um, it's an eight point switch from the, mm. the previous Derry game do we give Derry a free pass because of the, uh, the fact that they've just won an Ulster title and all that went with that? Or is this like a massive surge towards Monaghan now that actually they've had the benefit of licking their wounds? and um, Not irrelevant, yeah. Um, you were talking about the point of the, the fitness being yeah. massively different and they actually did specific fitness work in the four weeks that they mm. had off and that yeah just chatting to someone who's involved like would, would be close to the camp yesterday and they were saying that fitness has been a focus in the last four weeks right. the Derry game has really taught them that they were far, they were far behind where Derry were on fitness uh, and certainly when you look at the team selection yesterday McManus had a knock so that was um, you know I guess he couldn't play the full game regardless but McCarn not starting you know and bringing in Shane Carey and Ryan McInespy as well back from Australia there was clearly a target of pace 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 yeah. and, and it, just, it just seemed to work they, they certainly learned from that Previous very much. Well, it's funny, you know. I think I think there's there's a kind of a misnomer that can be, you know, you if we're going to concentrate on fitness for the next three to four weeks. <laughs> I don't know how. Of course, you can get fitter, right? But what it does is it plants a seed in your head. Mm. I am fitter. I am faster. What do you Cibo, know? Yeah. Exactly. So, and then it's all about the people on the pitch. And they most definitely, and if you remember from the last day, remember, I think, uh, I can't remember who got the goal. Was it McCluskey who got the goal um, where he stood up? McManus. Mm. 
Yeah. Monaghan fell into the trap the last day against Derry big time. So they brought men back. They tried to crowd the area. They brought the wrong men back. Derry looked for the mismatch, which they always do. And even in this game, they did it. And then they took it on. So that McManus, that goal specifically... Monaghan this time said, uh-uh, we're not going to create those mismatches. Mm. We're going to put pace all over the pitch, and we're actually going to do the far end. And where they did what Derry do a lot is they brought loads of bodies into their forward line, which, of course, meant Derry men had to follow those fan men. So the last day, they left McManus in on his own. So Derry were like, that's fine. We'll just stick a couple of fellas in front of him, and then we'll squeeze you all around out the middle. Mm. This time, they brought fellas in. So that meant there was spaces then in the pockets for McCarthy to come up and just kick some yeah. outrageous points. Um, and so they were able to find the pockets of space then, Ger. And, and what it means is, again, it, it goes back to what I was saying. Teams are learning so much mm. from, and then there's so much thinking going on, and there's so much tactical nuance going on in the sideline. It's brilliant to see, even from the kickouts. Like there was some serious high risk strategy kickouts yesterday. Beggins' two scores were absolutely <laughs> sublime. Um, you know, Monaghan are. Monaghan are definitely, you know, I think they'll probably end up playing Derry another three times this year, probably. It's going to go on and on and on. But they're they're there thereabouts. Derry, I think there is probably something you will find this heavy leg that we've just spoken about. It's it's the old five weeks off. You know, he who prepares like who is my, is our. You can see the freshness in Westmead. You can definitely see the freshness in Mayo last week. When you have that break, yeah. you're able to get everyone 100% fit. You're able to work on what you like. Now, after a couple of games with those people, will it start to and then will it's all the squad. It's all about the squad. It, it, you know, and, and, you know, Derry's squad, again, I think forward-wise, mm. it's lacking a bit. Yeah. McWigan, they're That's going to the well of McWigan a lot. You know, yeah. they're going to that well a lot. And he kicked nine points at the weekend, but only two from play. Yeah. McWigan, a lot of frees. But but I, I actually think this whole naming the, the, the panel and the team on the Friday, I think the GA now have this dictat where you have to name the team. I think Monaghan's selection threw Derry off a little bit because they're looking at the team. They're like, right, McManus isn't named, but McCarran is named. So I think Chrissy McCaig is one of these players who picks up picks up that, yeah. that nasty little forward who can score. So I think in Chrissy McCaig's head, probably before the match, he was preparing for Jack McCarran. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, just before throwing throw in, Monaghan like, well, no, Jack McCarran's not starting. Shane Carey's in. They have Carl Gallagher named. He's a young lad at number eight from on in the midfield. But what Carl Gallagher did was he just went up to full forward for the throw up. And Chrissy picked him up. And Carl ended up having a great game. On, on oh yeah, but he came for loads of kickouts. So that yeah, that, that sort yeah. of thing, you know, Chris, he was probably preparing for one player and ends up he's yeah. not even there. Yeah. So uh, there's probably something in that that selections can. Yeah, and we're in a well. we're in a bit of a weird sprint now for the next few weeks, where if you don't automatically win your mm. table, you end up having to play likely three weeks in a row. Which, again, uh, on the face of it, seems like well, sure, that's not big a deal. But Dublin lost at least yeah. one and potentially two players. And then if they lose two more the next week, all yep. of a sudden it, it feels really open. And I actually, um, I'm coming back to everybody who was talking about Galway. I wasn't quite sure, but the Galway Tyrone victory, like that's really important for them. Yep. Mm. That's a side who could have caused them a lot of difficulty, did cause them a lot of difficulty. And they managed the, the probably because it wasn't too high against Sligo. You know, it was like, great, we have better things to be doing. Yeah. 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 But the, the importance of that, for sorry, the importance of the whole structure. It's it's like we give out so much about structures, right? Like this is that. Look at what was it at the weekend? A draw, a draw, and a point, mm-hmm. and two points. Cork loud, loud, yeah, yeah. 
So, mm. like, it was, it was, both, everyone was going hell for leather. And Cork feeling pretty good about life heading into a game against Kerry, which, you know, has not happened in a long time. Yeah, yeah. But also, Derry had, Derry have their home game done now. So, next weekend, Derry go to Bally Buffet, which Correct. is, look, regardless of Donegal's troubles, they've taught, but Donegal have a good record in Bally Buffet. Yeah. Monaghan have Clare coming up to Clonus. So, you know, if Monaghan And can, they've had a break. And they've had a break as well. So, look, next weekend tells all. Yeah, and sorry, in the other one, it's uh, Westmeath have Galway at home, so you'd still expect Galway to win that, and if Galway win that, then they'll have four points. But Toronto are playing Armagh. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, but Westmeath would be buoyed by that performance, sure. You know, they'll, they'll, I, I can guarantee you, you know the way all these different counties, oh, Jesus, we never feared. I can imagine Westmeath saying, well, we never feared Galway coming up the road. Like, mm. it's, it's, so, <laughs> it's, like, it is fantastic for that. And it does go back down to the energy, um, the ability to learn. And having that, as you say, when you finish top, you get that time, but you also get that time then to analyse the opposition and analyse what's potentially coming on as management teams. So you're saying, right, with the permutations of this, this is who we will get. You're able to go to the games, you're able mm-hmm. to see it up front, uh, close and personal. So it's, uh, look, it's great. And, you know, I thought, albeit people will give out saying, oh, Jesus, GAA, you know, it's back and forth and it's holding on to the ball. It's <laughs> six and a half or seven minutes for us coming. There's still brilliant stuff in that. Oh, well, you know? It's up to the opposition to do something different. Get the ball back. There was engagement. Everybody knows exactly. it there. Yeah. yeah. Um, could there any chance against Dublin in Nolan Park? Big time. Again, Glenn Ryan learnt from last year's Leinster final, where they were so open at the back, backdoor cuts all over the place. You know, fellas not running, fellas being cut out. It was interesting to mm. see Ross Common the way they 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 put two players down the sideline to stop that yeah. backdoor cut, which Dublin do. So they had a man on the man, and then they brought another guy into the space. So the backdoor cut was completely gone. They took one of their main weapons away. Very good, very good learnings from it. Kildare will do the same. Uh, Kildare was set up exactly the same Donald Park's a big pitch now so you know you're not like you're going into a you know yeah. provincial small pitch so it's t- it's big it's bigger than Newbridge but that'll be okay for Kildare yeah. and Kildare still have forwards there mm. Kildare have forwards who can score and big men who can take the ball on so Davy Byrne's gone right Mick Fitzsimons has been drafted back in McCaffrey won't be right James McCarthy may not be right now or never kids now or never Right, good stuff. <coughs> Anthony, thanks very much for that. Uh, OTBAM live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. On tomorrow's programme, Shane's in the hot seat alongside Johnny Ward. Tommy Rooney's football power rankings. I'm sad to be missing that. <laughs> Jenny Claffey on the start of the French Open. Jasmine Baba on Dortmund's massive bottle job, which we didn't speak about, which we should about. They should definitely have been in the red. Dervil O'Rourke, plenty more besides. Right now, the very best of the Sunday pay-per-view. Have a marvellous Monday. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.